Hi, Amber. I need to give, give man, some disclaimers. Man, Amber made these banging-ass cupcakes, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> now, in case you hoes still using canola and vegetable oil and shit. Basic. I suggest you get you some coconut oil. Extra virgin. Yes, it's not only good on your skin, it's good in your sweet. It's good on your taste buds, <laughs> goddamn. That motherfucker smells, is delicate. Smells good in an incense. Nigga, let me tell you. Look, face scrubs, <laughs> body butter, what you need, coconut oil got it. Provides every Look, single time. You keep she there for your pleasure. <laughs> She just oh just let's just say a word for coconut oil That's real glory. Quick. I is, use I use coconut oil head to toe. Do you understand? And I can digest it in a delicious moist cupcake. She a snack too. Goddamn. Oh, I'm so blessed. Just oh, bitch. I fried some plantains and coconut oil t- this week. Look, it was a blessed experience. I'm say. not sure what we have done to deserve <laughs> the thing that is coconuts, but all I know is, <laughs> y'all goddamn president of Toothless America better not ruin this for me and the damn coconuts. I know that. I know that. That's what I know. <laughs> because it sounds like y'all getting real close to them motherfuckers, and I don't appreciate it. I don't appreciate that shit, Tata. You know, I feel like... Can you imagine if coconut was like not accessible anymore <laughs> over some dry ass, ashy ass president. Man, and you Woo! know what? John McCain, he came up there all scarred up and shit. I ain't gonna tell him the secret of making that motherfucker fade. <laughs> I ain't gonna tell him. <laughs> he coming all on the mic bleeding and shit, got words. Talking about what he wanna happen tonight. I quit. <laughs> Got that damn get out scar. Who playing the John McCain guy right now? Don't make me need a hat. Uh, oh my god, Jasmine, I'm sick right now. I'm sick. Oh my god, I'm over it. Jasmine everything. is showing out because we have a guest this week, so Jasmine has an audience. Man, I am roasting the fuck out of everybody. these niggas this week, though. My god, today I woke up and I was feeling mighty down. I was feeling mighty down low. Hey, goddamn. <laughs> I got on this mic and I said, I got a roast in my spirit. Yes, yes. You know, <laughs> as you know, I started off sweet talking about cupcakes. Mm-hmm. Yes. If y'all fuck it up on my coconut oil, I swear, I swear. We still got a whole nother two months in summer, <laughs> bitch. I got a whole, I can wear flip-flops for another, at least till like mid-October if we play it right with this whole global warming Look, bullshit. if I gotta choose. I don't want no problems. If y'all got me out here choosing between some damn health insurance and whether or not I can buy the <laughs> industrial jar of coconut oil that I need, I am going to fuck y'all up. I just, <sighs> <laughs> can I threaten people? This threats, nigga, this threats. <laughs> I'm so serious. I'm, I'm about so to connect on your ass. <laughs> I'm about to connect. This is Amber J. Phillips, the high priestess of Black Joy. And this is Jazz, the King of the South. And you are listening to the, the Black, Black Joy, Joy Mixtape. Hey, what do you do? Ow. Yeah. <laughs>
Cherish the day. Wow! Welcome, Morgan. <laughs> Y'all, they are a mess. <laughs> a beautiful mess. Uh, I am so excited about this week. I knew it would be good. I knew it. I knew it in my heart. Oh, I am so angry. I am I'm on pissed, bitch. Like, I like am shit. on, like, a kapow Because y'all really don't want a bitch to stop laughing out here. Woo! <laughs> then it's donezo. <laughs> I found myself at work just looking up Tiffany Haddish stand-up. Man. I'm like, this is where I'm at. She is wonderful. She I, is great. I've heard that Girl Strip is a banger. Oh, I can't I wait to see it. I have not seen it yet, but I see that y'all got to 30 minutes million good job petty black feminists who went to go see that and not birth of a nation that still will never be acknowledged what movie is that never what is never, that i heard of it who was the man i think gabrielle movie? union was in like a slave narrative <laughs> film recently <laughs> that's yeah that's i actually did a I great got. job yeah that's all i got yeah so we have a guest this week yep we're going to throw him in. I bet this is going to be so awesome because this is the first time we've had a black man on the show. Oh, shit. I am not going to disappoint you. Oh, shit. It's so good. nigga. Man. You should really feel honored you right should. now. You should. OMG. And y'all, for all you niggas that say I hate black men and shit, look. Look what I've done. Look at what Amber has done. We I'm showing y'all that we are tolerant. No, you we, still need to hate us. We We're like, listen, so, we don't hate y'all. Kids. See? Did y'all hear that? Say that again. Repeat that's rule. We ain't shit. So. See, that's what you gotta do to get on this. That's mic, all man. you got. You gotta pay, you gotta kiss the feet. Goddamn. You know, Sand castles, man. what you owe. I understand. <laughs> you kneel when God is before you. Yes! Just, just oh, let you mom. know. Put <laughs> the offering in the basket, <laughs> and we will let you know whether or not your application has been approved. Um, yes, rolling the missions. Yeah, uh, we'll get to it when we get to it. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> now, don't mean because you gave a gift and in the basket, don't mean you get approved. Yes. Just. Terms and conditions change all the goddamn all the time. time. It's like the GOP, my God nigga. Moving no. right along. <laughs> Bruh, Insecure was amazing. Have no, you seen? Me. I haven't seen the new season. Okay. Yet. Come on. All right. Nothing. I'm waiting. Wait, so we literally can't talk about hitting her black men again. <laughs> you can talk about it. I don't talk about loving on yourself. And it's show. all good. Nah, it's fine. Nah. You giving us your Wednesday night, so I have a little chill. Yeah. And I need to see the second episode anyway before I put my thoughts about the first episode out because I'm not. I'm not satisfied with it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's much to be desired. I must say, I must on, a, say. on a couple of fronts, you know, there's so, much to be desired. So, friend. what are they talking about? Uh, you know, we'll wait to the second episode to really, you know, dig in. I'm, I just because I don't need y'all mad at me. Yes, you know. Okay, I'm I'm cool with that. But okay. I must say that the the turn up that was in the um, first episode was literally hilarious. Yes, and I just want to add no body positivity all the way. But understand, you butte and you thick is for fat girls, y'all. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
So I'm going to do a brief introduction. Of course, y'all know the way we do interviews. We're going to go through the headlines. But again, we have a guest in the Black Jelly headquarters this week. His name is Morgan Givens. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Um, hey, Morgan. Hi, up? Morgan. Oh, hey. All right. Uh, <laughs> Tell the people who you are. All right. So my name is Morgan Givens. I am a storyteller and performer in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm an avid reader, a writer. I do all kinds of things. I ain't going to give you my bio, but um, yeah, that's who I am, you know? I got a storied background, but I guess we'll delve into that a little bit later on. So, does that sound all right? Yes. Yes. Great. (laughs) So excited to have Morgan on the podcast because he is also a podcaster, Dispatches, which is an amazing, um, he tells amazing short stories. Thank you. I am so excited that he's finally on the the mic. We've been wanting to do this for a while, but I'm excited about it. And Morgan's just a lit-ass person that I can't wait for y'all to hear more about his story. Who, When we first met and he told me about it, I'm like, damn. <laughs> this is layered. Everyone should know this person. Yes. What? What's the name of that story? I think the first time I heard Morgan. Bookless. Bookless. It's so good. Yes. I remember. I was like, you gotta listen to this story. It's yeah. hilarious. On uh, on YouTube, it's a uh, outspoken pride show from 2015. But on my podcast, it's called Dating. I, I did it over for the podcast because you, Amber, was like, oh, you need to do this story. I like it. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and we can get into what this story is about. And it's a great uh, segue into not only Morgan's storytelling, but into this week's headlines and monumental moments this week. Yes. <laughs> so let's get into it, Amber. I hate this part of the show. <laughs> Because when you said that, I was like, it is triggering as a motherfucker. It is. Every week I wake up, I'm like, I hope white people do nothing awful this week. Mm -mm. I really hope y'all just like, you know what? We've been listening and learning, and we're just going to make better choices. <laughs> you know, I prefer y'all to, like, make this segment just not exist. Yes. You know, that's my goal. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here, but as long as you keep showing your ass, I will come, pay my tolls, and um, explain what black people and just folks who aren't y'all's rich asses got coming at their necks. Okay. White people have no self-control. Goddamn. It hurts my mouth to say it, bitch. But it feels good because it's a fucking truth. Anywho, Jasmine. So let's let's start here. Man. Um it's like y'all did a lot of like pretty despicable shit this week. Like at what point? Do y'all just start having meetings <laughs> that don't involve white robes and burning crosses and Confederate flags in some form or fashion? You like, know, I mean, don't you want more for your life, don't, kings? Don't y'all <laughs> want teeth? Yo, eyebrows even. My God, don't y'all, don't y'all want me, mom? That live in West Virginia. To see your little badass kids <laughs> become badass people in the world, like I, this show. At is what point <laughs> do y'all look? Even y'all progressive motherfuckers mm. look now. <laughs> if you ain't playing the Black Joy mixtape, will you go into your grandma Thorn's living room? Yeah, 
that kind of on the loudspeaker instead of in your headphones beats audio bitch then I just don't know <laughs> cause I'm giving you all the material the 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 you know the material that just you can start with yes you know Lay so hands. you can be nice to them afterwards because we are outlining not just black people's demise here you're coming with us Bill you you think you thought you think you you they don't know how to jail tag this black brown and indigenous people was gonna be the only ones to suffer no Like, niggas is coming off the surgery bed, bitch, (laughs) to vote. So, let's start here. Yes. John McCain, (laughs) last week, white people forced us to feel sorry for John Senator John McCain because he is battling a whole-ass brain cancer. Which, honestly, when I heard the news, I was like, that shit sound like old age to me. Okay, so I'm going to continue setting up this non-biased headline. (laughs) He's like 80 years old. (sighs) The whole life. He's been here a long time. Hey, that's not for me to decide. It's, it's, It's time. But, like, literally, I can bring... Because he is the one who brought Sarah Palin into the public consciousness. Like, the global consciousness. And, like, (laughs) I just feel like John McCain... Chris Rock had a joke in his special, Mm -hmm. like, a long time ago about how John McCain don't give a fuck like if you was hanging on the side of a cliff and only needed a fuck John McCain wouldn't give it to you <laughs> like that's literally a Chris Rock joke so like that's John amazing. McCain who has run for president before we already knew first white man to lose to a black man in a presidential election <laughs> first white man to lose to a black man in a presidential election please say that again yep. <laughs> what year was that 2008 2008 my nigga I'll never forget to say it was a cold day in November. <laughs> a day I I'll never remember. That I forever remember. There you go. There you go. Cause it was a day a black man won. <laughs> so we're about to roast John McCain because literally when it came out that he had brain cancer. <laughs> Okay, so look at this picture. Do you see his eyebrow, bitch? Like, what? This nigga bleeds. You bleed and then you have cancer, dog. You risk your life. You risk your whole ass life. About to get an infection. And that's hard to recover from when you have cancer. When you're 80. When you're old as shit. (laughs) So all I want to know is, I'm just like the type of gall you have to have to show up to work. Like, this is the thing you push through. So this vote that John McCain participated in on Tuesday night, (laughs) it was... A pivotal vote so they can have the 50 votes to motion to advance the legislation that would repeal Obamacare. Right. So this wasn't even... Good job, Jasmine. So he got off his sickbed, y'all. This is the second time this has happened in the last couple months, I might add. But just catch how despicable this is. (laughs) It's nasty. He came up off his sickbed. Just so they could get the votes yep. 
so he could come back with the alley-oop and not vote to actually move the repeal. So I'm just kind of confused around what twisted game is actually being played here because they could have actually not had the votes and you could have stayed the fuck home. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm trying to, like, because... Because that, I think that's the piece that people are missing from this. Like, how can someone with brain cancer on taxpayer dollars, on taxpayer money, travel on taxpayer money to vote yes on this motion just so he can vote no on the actual, like, and then also lecture people? Mm-hmm. Y'all ain't got Skype? No. <laughs> FaceTime? anything you know and that just lets you know how arrogant these people are yeah who are running the the world bear down would rather like they would rather do that than to treat americans people they signed up for this job i might add like this is like you have to be willed to serve your country in this manner and y'all are actively choosing to not do what the fuck you're here to do they still treating this like they must get this done. They must uninsure millions of people yes. before they go on recess. Yes, this is <laughs> this is the order of the day. So now the Senate has delayed the vote on the health care repeal. And when asked some of the reasons that are surrounding this, of course, is around funding for funding for Planned Parenthood, saying that it has everything to do with abortion when already in like as it stands Government funding does not pay for abortions at Planned Parenthood or anywhere else. It's not covered under federal funding. It's literally a rule. Um, It's called the Hyde Amendment. Okay, and we're also trying to get rid of that bullshit. And a part of the, just to go back to McCain real quick, like a part of his speech is the fact that a lot of this legislation was created behind closed doors. Yes. So they are being very secretive as well and not being transparent within their own party around what all this bill includes. When it's literally going to decide the fate for lots of Americans. Yes. So because of this, like even the the party itself isn't weighing in what are their boundaries to get this passed they also are still or Donald Trump is still relying on this public shaming tactic to coerce people into voting for this piece of legislation and and it's just going to continue to get worse because our government is really invested in undoing measures that Obama put into place, that his administration put into place, while also focusing on this overall goal of disenfranchising, deleting, trying to get rid of the human rights of people in America, marginalized folks in America, people who already have a hard time working within systems that because they weren't built for us. So this morning, this is when I was also like, what the fuck happened today? Um, Donald Trump sent out tweets because now tweets are policy. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much how it works now. Also played out this season of White House Apprentice. Oh, yes. yes. We forgot that part. Yeah. So the White House, White House the, edition. Yes. The Apprentice White House edition. We just want to update y'all that Sean Spicer is out here. Yeah. 
Um, we have a new. Uh, he, he quote unquote resigned. He, you know, so Sean Spicer, the press secretary, resigned. And we learned that Jeff Sessions is on the cutting block this week. Who knows what can happen? Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Nine is dissatisfied for how, you know, Sessions conducted himself during during the FBI hearing. Blah, blah, blah. It's not really important, I don't think. I feel like this was over a golf game at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. You know, it's really about the type of loyalty, devout loyalty that Nine requires. It's not that, you know, Jeff Sessions being allegedly affiliated with the KKK, he is allegedly. <laughs> and <laughs> allegedly, he is allegedly. <laughs> he is the KKK allegedly. It's not, KKK. you know, it's not that he plans to incarcerate, you know, a lot of black and brown people with these policies uh, that bring back the war on drugs is that I just didn't like what you said when you was on the stand. And I just feel really disrespected. Mm -hmm. So you got to go. And the replacement, potentially, there are rumors that Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City, uh, who implemented uh, Stop and Frisk, will possibly be his replacement so that story is unfolding just want to make sure y'all are keeping up with your shows yes. the apprentice white house edition is still going it's still still out here <sighs> um moving right along trump is still trying to delete people so this week trump sent out a couple of tweets um that basically said that after much homework and talking to motherfuckers, which we know he does not do, really. <laughs> he talks to people who echoes his thoughts. Right. Because if they don't, they get fired. They get fired. That's what we just documented. Who comes Undies. on record and admits that they going to fire somebody because they ain't want to break the law to protect them? Hello? So Trump says that transgender people will no longer be allowed to serve in the military. That is his... Big announcement today. He says, you know, healthcare is expensive as a motherfucker. Now I'm trying to delete that shit. So there is um, a heavy burden trans folks offer to the military that he just cannot afford to take care of because they need to be focused on combat. So what are the implications of such a proclamation? It has nothing to do with the military because... Trump, at every turn of this administration, is putting in measures to literally make sure that we do not see trans people as our community members or in the future. Down to, he tried to take them out of being documented in the U.S. Census. He also is enacting a lot of these, or being supportive of a lot of these bathroom bills, which are also really deeply impacting children who are trans and who are going to school and trying to develop and learn and grow in this society. So he's covering across the board to make sure that there is no rights, no... I mean, so here's the thing. Like, he's out here, you know, rolling back measures Obama put in place to protect trans youth who have to go to school and deal with all these unlearned cisgender people. He's rolling back measures to have us counted in the census. (laughs) He's trying to... Basically, he's demonizing us. And if you really pay attention to anything that's happened in history, the first thing you do is demonize a people before you make them truly disappear. You disappear them on paper, and then you disappear them for real. And, you know, trans women of color have been getting disappeared for forever because Mm -hmm. there are no protections in place for them. And even if you look at, you know, the quote-unquote trans movement now, 
the face of it is still very much white. We do have Janet Mock, we have Laverne Cox, but you look at all this stuff coming out for the military. They, they, you know, people are posting pictures of like white trans people and being like, "Wow, look at them!" You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're so. I mean, there are all these different layers. Like you're erasing trans identity, you're erasing trans people, but you know, trans black people still have. We still ain't even got on the map, really, and it it, it just kind of it's upsetting because. People care now because they're looking at all these attractive white trans people who can no longer serve in the military. But really, we couldn't serve before. You know, President Obama said, all right, I'm going to put in this policy. And then for whatever reason, said it could go into effect July 1st of this year. Of course, Trump halted that, rolled it back and then said, no, you can't serve at all. And so part of what I'm saying, when people are all outraged on Twitter and other social media platforms, I'm like, Y'all didn't know we couldn't serve before. He said, nah, for real. You know, like this, it's, it's like nothing has really been rolled back. He just continued what was already in place. Mm-hmm. And people all upset, like, you have to let people go out there and die no matter who they are. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Right. Like, this isn't, this, nothing has changed for us. So I'm like, where was the outrage when all these awful things were happening? Now you want to be mad about a policy that never changed in the first place. Right. He just came out and reinforced what was already there. And thank you for affirming that because this was actually a power play move. So um, Amber and I have been following this story. And even last week, we decided not to talk about it because Mm -hmm. of the number of headlines. But pretty much on Capitol Hill, they have been debating or they couldn't decide whether or not to stop spending, quote unquote, taxpayer dollars on healthcare treatments for trans people. Mm-hmm. And the legislation or this add-on kept being defeated uh, on the Hill. So nine elected to announce the ban in order to resolve a quietly brewing fight on Capitol Hill over whether taxpayer money should pay for gender transition and hormone therapy for transgender service members, which had threatened to kill a $790 billion defense and security spending package scheduled for a vote this week. But rather than addressing that narrow issue, Nine opted to unpin the entire policy on transgender service members, a move that few on Capitol Hill or at the Pentagon expected. So that was in the Times there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's it's all bullshit. It's like you are so short-sighted that you would rather tank your entire one defense budget over potential gender reassignment surgery for Trump, some trans folks in the military. Because not all trans people get surgeries. Not all trans folks do hormone replacement therapy because it's gender. Your gender it doesn't always necessarily have to correlate with what society says the male or female body should look like. You know, but on top of that, you know, he's out here, you know, just reinforcing what was already on the books. And people are upset about it. People are up in arms about it. But I think the Washington Post just put out an article today after this came out like uh, the military spends more on Viagra than they do for anything transgender related for all 15,000 people in the military. So you mean to tell me that these cis white men getting boners and being able to potentially have sex with women or what we know what cis men do, they occasionally rape women. You'd rather pay for these men to have the ability to have a boner and an erection because it reasserts their you know, fragile masculinity than to just pay for whatever the cost may be for these 15,000 people who have, 
you know, regardless of your stance on the military, I have plenty of ideas about it. But who already signed up? I'm like, you you didn't even sign up. What, you died to draft four or five times? That's going off in a whole nother direction, you know, with my understanding of transition and who I know I am and my friends are. But you can't deny our humanity in one hand, but ask us to sacrifice it for you on another. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just... Say more. Deny trans I mean, people how. People housing. Pe- we we look work discrimination. I know Child. I'm blessed. I am lucky because when I came out as trans, you know, and, and I think I was talking to you just about this Amber a few a few weeks ago. Maybe you were like, white people have taught us all the things that we should hate about ourselves. Now I come from a family who loves me, and even still, I was like, if I come out as trans, they're gonna disown me. They're gonna do this to me. I'm not gonna have no. I told them. My mom was like. Well, I'm gonna need a minute to adjust. My brother paid for my first appointment. My grandma, who's deeply religious, was like, "If this is what keeps you from killing yourself and being depressed, then I am behind it." But I had this whole idea thinking I needed mm. to go to motherfucking California to be myself. And so our humanity is denied at every turn. I was like, "Well, how am I gonna find housing? You know, how am I going to find a job where I can't be fired for being trans? Where do I need to live?" And so I grew up in North Carolina, but. When I realized I needed to find a job, I needed to find a place where I could be, mm-hmm. where I couldn't be kicked out of my house for being trans. I couldn't be fired specifically for being trans. There were protections in place. I had to do research. You know, most people say, I want to live here, and they go if they can afford it. They are lucky right. enough to be able to afford it. I had to look and say, I might be able to afford it. I need to find a job that will protect me somewhere I can live. And there were a handful of cities where I would have complete protection, and D.C. was one of them. So I moved here because I knew even with all the transphobic bullshit that still goes on in D.C., there were legal protections. So, I mean, my my humanity is denied at every single turn. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't read comments on posts about trans people because I'm like, I'm not dealing with the bullshit today. You're not coming to my house with that. You know, so healthcare. I have doctors who don't know what to do. (laughs) Uh, I've I've gone and had a doctor once. And not at Whitman Walker. Them people are on their shit. But, like, with the current... Shout out to Whitman Walker. Yeah, they're real good. You know, he asked me, I had a doctor one time ask me, well, how much, how much testosterone you need to take a week? I said, no, motherfucker, you are the doctor. So how do you not know how to treat me? And now I have to come in here and guess and hope that you're reading my scans right. So, you know, we don't get health care. We don't get housing, employment. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I think this is setting um, a precedent for is um, this conversation around the costs and expenses of health care for trans folks. When right now we know that it's not, not only is it new that there's even funding for healthcare for, um, but the access to it, that it's not even, I was asking you earlier, like, are all doctors trained on this? Do they even, even if you do have healthcare coverage, folks, where do you go to access it? Is it determined by where you live and all these other different pieces. Well, I, you know, at least in D.C., you know, they, they passed a law for D.C., I know, where any insurance company that operates out of D.C. has to cover gender affirmation surgeries. Um, the problem is half the people who work in these offices don't know where to send you when you're trying to get this done. They don't know anything about it. They haven't been trained on it. They don't know how to make sure you're receiving adequate health care. They don't know how to... Make sure if you were female assigned at birth and you're like, I'm a man, I'm a trans man, but you still have some internal, you know, organs that may be, you know, biologically female. They don't know how to address that with you in a way that is not 
triggering for some people. You know, every trans person is not the same. My, me personally, I'd be like, whatever, what do you need to do? Make sure I'm okay. But that's not the case for everybody. And so they don't have people mm-hmm. who are trained on how to be sensitive, how to talk to folk, how to ask which doctor they would prefer to see. So sure, we've taken some steps forward by being able to say, in some cities, <laughs> it's mandatory that you have this coverage. But that hasn't filtered down into the actual insurance implementation that of it. Go and give these doctors mm. training. And if you get an old doctor, they just be looking at you like, I don't understand none of this. You know? and so right. you end up having to give health care to yourself and hoping the doctor will write your prescription. So what I think I hear is so we are, this was implemented because Nan is trying to get his multi-billion dollar military spending bill passed, Mm -hmm. right? And what we're also hearing, or at least what I hear, is the the spending for transgender health care is pennies in their budget. That's number one. And then number two, trans service people in the military are getting shitty service because I'm pretty sure the majority of them are not here in D.C. They can't be. They're all over the country. Mm -hmm. So we're already talking about or dealing with uh, there is already a group of people who are navigating very intricate systems that don't acknowledge or recognize their existence, mm-hmm. including the people that they seek their their care from. I mean, I can tell you something as simple as this. When I go online to That's schedule the first time for an appointment or whatnot, and then you mean you, what you're hitting at is exactly that. It's not built and set up for this. Mm-hmm. When I go online to fill out any government document or I go online to do a healthcare document, all it has, it, it says, are you male or female? And now it doesn't specify gender. It doesn't specify sex assigned at birth. So when I'm sitting here filling this out, trying to find a doctor, I'm like, well, damn, I'm male. I know that. But I know, common sense wise, there are certain parts of me that I need a doctor to understand. You need to get your ovaries Mm -hmm. looked at. Mm -hmm. So, like, how do I fill this paperwork out in a way that doesn't out me and make me uncomfortable, but gets the doctor to understand Yo, this person might need to go for a pap smear or this trans woman may need, you know, a prostate exam because these are still parts of who we they're they're intertwined with our right. bodies and our bodies mm-hmm. need to be cared for. Right. But people miss that being so caught up in, well, I don't know who you are. I told you who I am. So you even the me. forms the to form. access care are political. Dorothy Roberts has a amazing TED talk where she talks about this same thing about how our healthcare, everything's so political, uh-huh. right? Um, that even, and this is how I want us to see that when we are not doing the work of making sure the most marginalized people are being served, um, we're fucking our, we're fucking all of ourselves up. Yes, because she's even talking about black folks, how because they don't ask you specific questions about your race, that they also don't know how to treat you. So when we look at this as these two things colliding, which is trans folks and black trans folks all together, where our forms aren't even asking us the proper questions to fucking treat us. Yeah, that is, I need tragic. A it's tra- It's like that's what causes genocides. Like that is what causes people to die sooner than what they are supposed to die from. So what I'm also hearing, another thing I heard from Morgan is the fact that where trans people live, the majority of places don't even have protections. No. So that's why I live in North Carolina. 
not only do these people not have protections, they are willingly signing up to join the military mm-hmm. just so they can ask, access health care. So, like, let's wrap our minds around that. Preaching here yep. on today. This country does not protect these people. Multiple facets from bathrooms when they are children. Children. To home access, to job security, to acknowledgement on different various forms to document their existence. And then there's this willingness to then enlist. So when you enlist in the military, you you are essentially accepting to go fight on behalf of this country mm-hmm. no matter what country that treats you like shit yes basically. don't don't sit at the intersections don't be black and trans and then enlist yes and it's it's a shame mm-hmm. that that happens you know you black and trans vast majorities of trans people and then you know of course once you delve into the blackness of being trans homeless because uh, they can't people won't hire them mm-hmm. you know and this has nothing to do with the who they really are is the fact that they're trans and it comes out when they do background checks. Or maybe, you know, you you black and the world treats you a certain way, especially in this country. So what if you do want gender reassignment surgery? What if you do want to use hormone replacements and you can't? So you move in the world as best you can as a gender you are, but you can't even get the hormones that will make it safer for you. So mm-hmm. you can't get employed. You can't get housing. Mm-hmm. And so you look like, well, damn, the military. And so, you know, you have You can't get health insurance. You can't get health insurance. And you have some trans <laughs> in the military who have to live as a gender they are not in order to get to the point where they can receive an education and they transition after. So what what does it say about our country if the only way to be who I am and to live free and happy, I have to be willing to risk my life and die for some bullshit I don't believe in so that later on I can be okay. Which walking out of your home is a risk to your life. I'm lucky that I look cis on, on quote unquote what they think a cis person looks like. But there are plenty of trans people who do not look what people think a cis person should look like. And now they're, you're, already, you're already a target. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a lot. Continue this conversation. I'm so happy Morgan is here. I surely am. Man, are y'all in for a treat? <laughs> All right. So are y'all in for a treat? Let's get the cool color, colorblind collective get, out of the way. Get their ass out the way. Let's <laughs> snatch them up real quick. Cool. They had a big line this week, y'all. God damn. Right. Well, black men is fucking up. <laughs> yes. Man. Ace Patel. Lucky to be here, bitch. Listen. <laughs> you may know him as Rick Ross. <laughs> Rick Ross. But, but it Cool color, color blind collective land. We know him as uh, the Jiggly Fool. <laughs> the Jiggly Fool. Brick Bros. That's what I'm calling. Brick Bros. Bitch ass. Wait, that's not how it works. His name starts with I am putting everything. Brick Ross. I'm putting You said that nigga shaped like a brick. Is brick that what you said? Nobody shaped. Not a bag of money, a brick. <laughs> Yeah, asshole, oh you punk ass bricks, bricks, all, all white bricks. bricks. He been canceled though. Rick Ross Nasty. literally was on that song talking about giving people date rape drugs. Yes. Around the same time, y'all should have also canceled Miguel, but he was little and light skinned, so y'all let him. What Miguel do? How many? 
Dirty Drinks is also oh, yeah. a you dangerous right, right. ass song. That song. Yeah. That, song. Yeah, that song disturbed me. I said, are you talking about how many drinks you need to take? To- exactly that. Have- that's exactly. That's right, a, Miguel. That's It's right. a tactic. It is a tactic for ass. So Rick Ross will get red, but essentially before we get into it, a lot of a lot of the cool color colorblind collective happened on the Breakfast Club. Man, it's just a bag of collection over there. Just, yeah. just hop, go, do your Breakfast Club interview, say some fucked up shit, be supported in it, and then bring that ass over to the cool color colorblind collective. So Rick Ross said on the Breakfast Club that he will not sign women rappers because he has no self-control. Essentially. <laughs> Essentially. He said, I never sign women rappers because I might end up fucking them. And I'm putting all this money into him. You know, I just... You looking good at the photo shoot, blah, blah. And so then, uh, Joe Burton got on the goddamn... Whatever show Catch he got. Catch him now. You know Wait. Joe Button is like <laughs> seconds away from doing some bullshit. He always, like, I just, he is a burden to all these shows because you just don't know what type of emotional state he gonna come Man. in. He always got excuses about why he can't do his job this day and that day. So, Joe Burton, you, <laughs> sir... Get on that show with the uh, goddamn huh? The one that escalated. What you say? What you uh, say? Look like I got a little fuck better booze. Do it again, Jason. Do it. Look like I got a little fuck better booze. Do it. Look like I got a little fuck better What you say? What you say? Huh? Huh? The only reason why we know this nigga name, Doctor Academic, or whatever his name, <laughs> DJ. DJ. What songs he got? I don't yeah. know shit about this nigga. The only DJ I recognize is Khaled. Niggas putting out summer. Jams. Jammers. <laughs> uh, only reason why I know him because this nigga's a meme now. So DJ Academic yes. got on their show and said, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I wouldn't sign a female artist either. Y'all literally <laughs> Jay-Z is dropping records for the most dumbass demographic ever because you are learning nothing from this nigga. He says... I feel like they are resisting these they lessons are. because they have literally turned up ever since 4 44 been out here. You got Future taking money pictures with money. Everybody is saying that his flow is tight. Like every time I hear a black man talking about that album, they're like, "Look, I'm not gonna touch all this other stuff he's talking about." But Girl. with these old man flows that he got, he is just so trash. He didn't come correct on this album, <laughs> bitch. That ain't what that shit was about. And no. You know it. You mad? You're upset. Hurt. Because you also have another nigga playing basketball you with your son. You got a black woman right now that you are still texting, talking about what you're doing once a quarter, just so you can make sure that she ain't completely moved on from your ass shit. <laughs> because you fucked up. You know exactly what Jay-Z was talking exactly. about on that damn thing. And you the one that you know that your children gonna be asked, you really ruined this over a menage, really? <laughs> Your kids gonna know, nigga. They gonna know. I know. But uh, <laughs> Rick Ross, they're they're not learning anything. And Jay Z says, "This is my this is my uh, standing argument." Jay Z says, "Nobody wins when the fucking family feuds." Hi, Come on. 
So y'all literally, this goes across the board even with business. Y'all swear y'all want to be pushing. The only real niggas pushing the numbers um, that y'all claim are Jay and Beyonce and Cardi B. And Cardi B because you can't be you can't be bad. You can't have a bad boy legacy without hiring no fucking female rappers. Ask Emil. Come on. Ask Foxy Brown. Come on. What about uh, No Limit, Mia X? Like, how are you niggas really calling yourself record label owners, but you don't got the game yet? Cardi B got here from a fucking Instagram post. Even Juicy J had Gangsta Boo in the chat. Nicki Minaj, stay killing you, huh? Lil John had China White. Missy Elliott is still waxing tracks. You know, Timbaland had the foresight. Come on, somebody today. Yeah. Ain't nobody trying to fuck Rick Ross. Come, not no more. Even slipping <laughs> slide had Trina. Goddamn. Come on. I'm just Gucci. Gucci then told Gucci co-signed Nikki. Come on. What the fuck are y'all talking about? Literally keep putting out this lie that you motherfuckers are cheap to put on. You're lying. You're lying. Because the reason why y'all out here saying you so cheap is some black woman decided to let you lay up in her home for free. Whose uh, trunk did you pop? Whose car was that? Whose car was that, That Craig? you sold them fucking mixtapes out of, nigga. Whose basement, whose mama's basement did you record your demo in? Come on. Who was the black woman journalist that did your first interview? Was her name Dream? Did she review your first concert? Sound like brown sugar to me. To give you niggas a history <laughs> lesson, the first person to put rap on a fucking album was, was a woman it? by the name of Sylvia Robinson. Tell me. Sugar Hill, baby. A black woman made that shit happen. So tell me again how you went in hip hop without women. Please. Shit, you ain't winning life. You ain't winning life. I know that. My mom is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. Because she was Literally. doing everything. She was like, I'm going to make it easier for you. And my grandma made it easier when I stayed at her house for free. For two years after college, so mm-hmm. and gave you a full ass fucking profession. Like Big Crit is in the damn look. Big Crit is clear. He said, "I don't know what they do. All I know is they gave me a plate when a nigga was hungry." Every time, who's running your digital right now, bitch? That Instagram. Look at Ace Hood. Look how happy Ace Hood is. Look, bitch. his whole fake ass rolly broke on the on the red carpet, <laughs> and he literally had little Bow Wow laughing at him. But he was like, "Let me just heal myself under the bosom of a black woman." And you see, you see his social media game has. You know, whenever he do decide to give us a Queen's anthem, we gonna be there to bop to it. Goddamn, bop, bop bang. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Ace Hood is still trying this thug shit, and he really gotta go ahead and give us a thug and the Queen's album. Like he just need to go ahead and just make that happen. Look at Queen Latifah right now, bitch. And this brings me to the double <laughs> XL. We have just gave y'all the foundation of why this whole idea that hip-hop is masculine is a fucking lie. Bullshit. All right. So, on <laughs> another level, this idea that hip-hop and the culture is just inherently masculine, that shit being a lie, you also are systemically leaving these women rappers out of publications. Yes. The freshman class this year. All these women that's rapping every week, we give you Cardi, a new no name intro. I mean, Princess Nokia, TT the artist, TT the motherfucking Carrie Fo, 
Carrie Princess Fo- Nokia. Half of these bitches are on the insecure fucking soundtrack, so I know they out here. I know they out here. If and Solange then heard them, why the fuck haven't you? So I suggest y'all give us some reparations, goddamn. I want an all-woman uh, <laughs> class. Kamaya. You know, who? Shout out to Kamaya for making the goddamn cover. You know, good. She need to be in next year's class as well with all Two her time. counterparts. The first The class that she person. was intended to be. Yes. Because these other niggas ain't doing nothing notable while these women like Cardi B are literally doing a grassroots movement. Mm-hmm. Building their audience brick by brick. Rico Nasty. We was telling Rico, y'all about Rico. that concert. Her social media game lit. Like these women are organizing and putting themselves on, building their base. Y'all are leaving money on the table. Cardi B is literally in interviews talking about how she was advised to be sexier. And she was like, "Mm, what I do know is every woman has another bitch hating on her. That's what I'm a rap about. And that's why we have not seen uh, Kodak Black since because <laughs> Bodak Yellow <laughs> took his flow. These is red bottoms. And These she blood shoes. gave us words that we all can relate to. Hello. You know, we don't need Kodak anymore. He don't see it for black women anyway. Welcome. So let's continue the uh, cool color colorblind collective line. So it's graduation, bitches. DJ Envy and Charlemagne also made the cut. Joe Budden is on there. They literally saw nothing wrong with the fact that Rick Ross wasn't hiring women MCs and actually all agreed. They're all like, agreed. yeah, I wouldn't hire these bitches either. But DJ Envy and Charlemagne also were inappropriate during the Janet Mock interviews. Highly inappropriate. As well as the uh, what Tiffany Haddish interview. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which they are all in black women of guys, but we'll tell this side yes. of the story. And then we have to induct Usher into the Cool Color Colorblind Collective as well. Yeah. Usher's in here. He's Usher, he's Usher. he has definitely earned his spot. Um, so we will start off with Usher by saying that uh, Black Joy Mixtape does not believe in STD and STI shaming whatsoever. Not at all. Get that stigma to fuck on out of here. One in five people currently have an STI. It's all right. There are a lot of people who have herpes. Herpes happens. Herpes? That's a good campaign, Jasmine. That really is. Like, I would see that and be like, it does. That would be a great anti-stigma-ass campaign. Herpes happens. Herpes happens. Yo, can you see the dog on the TV right now? Herpes, it happens. That's Go visit your thing. local Planned Parenthood. You out here making look. I, I support this. I support this message. So, with that being said, yes. we we need comprehensive sex ed. We do. We need more supports for people who have STDs, STI, who are living with STIs. Yes. Um, as well as the stigma is just ridiculous because people just out here going for what they know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Because just, the reason why we advocate for comprehensive sex ed on the Black Joy Mixtape is because we know you niggas didn't get it and then magically didn't learn it once you got out of school. Yeah. Because there are really no systems in place for adults who have not gotten comprehensive sex ed in a lot of places to go get said comprehensive sex ed. So whatever nonsense your auntie told 
told you, your mama, your teacher, who taught you abstinence only, it didn't just all of a sudden go away once you got your high school diploma and went to college. Yes. <laughs> like, get your ass on the internet, the real internet, not just again, Pornhub. Black women doing the thing. My mom, we when I was in high school, me and my brother, she set us down. She's like, this is what sex is. This is what it means. Here's what you need to do to protect yourself. Here's what you do if one of y'all think you done got somebody pregnant, if you pregnant, because by then I hadn't transitioned over. She said, you come to me and let me know. My mama laid it all out and was like, let me know. She brought my brother his first condom. was like, dead ass. She's like, I know you're going to do it. You a teenage boy. Wrap mm-hmm. a pickle up. But that's what she said. Wrap Save the pickle up. Save a black up. man today. But well, unfortunately. Right. The vast majority of people, they, you're right. They, I mean, y'all know this. I don't have to reaffirm it. Thank you for laying it. that out. So most likely, Usher's mama did all she could to make sure her son. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Knew what he needed to do to not be in this situation. <laughs> it was allegedly Diddy and JD who influenced Jermaine Usher. They have been, y'all, go look at. <laughs> oh. Good job. Good, good job. Whoa. Jasmine. <laughs> because. You know, you he got hit with another twenty million dollar lawsuit for exposing a whole nother woman to herpes, according to the shade room. According to the shade room, you know, and I think Usher has way too much access to power, money, and fame to not be disclosing what what's happening here. You can decide, right? Like you can decide who you want to disclose to or what have you, but it seems like he's being Reckless. I mean, is that wrong? Is that stigma? a public health risk? Yeah, he's Good a reckless. public fucking health risk. Lies. So let's not perpetuate stigma around Usher. Look, black men, y'all <laughs> and your lies <laughs> is public health risk. They are. Goddamn, French Montana and Drake, we told y'all months ago, made a list around when it's okay for them not to use a condom over some surface bullshit. Yeah. The ting is yours or whatever the fuck, the Ren and Ten bullshit ass <laughs> list they made back in the day. Now, that is how a lot of these infections are passed along because there's some notion around your invincibility. Yeah. And you're not disclosing to women, which means you are exposing mothers. You are exposing people who don't have the same access to health care or money as you, who have to go on about their lives after you decide not to text their ass back. You are exposing them to a, a situation that they will have to figure out how to navigate as health care is being taken away, bitch. Like, mm, Not only that, but you ain't really get consent because my consent is not yeah. informed. So I might consent to having sex with you unprotected, but if you know you got an STI, how can I really consent to engage in a sexual activity with you if you have not informed me of this? Because at that point, you might tell me like, you know what? Why is black man's on the mic? Or I might be like, you know what? We still gonna do this, but you have to tell me so my my consent is informed. You don't get consent if it's have informed. It's a a liable mission is still alive. <laughs> Yep. And that's why you got to get sued. Look at you. <laughs> Up the ante. 20 mil. 20 mil. She was at, like, I don't want tea. Oh, oh, no. no. I got Usher herpes, bitch. I'm good Usher. for my life. Herpes. And unfortunately, 
the the thing like yeah <laughs> that this usher at least these women can be compensated right the majority of black women this is why we why are following black china's cue take mm-hmm. get this check because mm-hmm. there are countless examples of black women who have less who are returning from these toxic ass trash ass relationships mm-hmm. to nothing so you hope <laughs> You hope to get Usher herpes rather than Ray Ray's. <laughs> Am I lying? Man, I mean, bitch, listen, I'm. I, <laughs> I, you know, I really don't be thinking about what I'm saying because I'm dead serious. Do you want Usher herpes or Dante's? And unfortunately, we are usually in the like that's the fucked up part of it right because we are not black girls are not protected so unfortunately we are like there are a lot of black girls out here me included amber included who literally have to choose which poison we will take so like yeah so we're back here with r kelly right so like literally sometimes it's r kelly or continuing to deal with an abusive stepfather. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. So, like, yeah, when these black women seek compensation, we are rooting for the fuck out of them because we know too many stories where not only did these women's lives, these black girls' lives get ruined. They didn't get to tell nobody the story and they show enough didn't get what they deserved. They didn't get justice. The justice that they deserved. And if they did, they were shamed back into the closet with their story. Exactly. So It's a new day, my niggas. Now you're getting sued for STIs and I hope that other black women take heed. And now white men got Usher singing in the car doing car karaoke singing (laughs) Let It Burn. They set your ass up. Man. They know they they shouldn't have put that video out this week. They know they did. You and he he played you for a fool because that white man knew what the fuck he was doing. He was just playing like he ain't heard the news and your dumb ass assumed he didn't either. He set you up for a meme, He's in entertainment. (laughs) He memed your ass. They want them clicks. They want them clicks. (laughs) Gotcha, bitch. All right, we're going to move through this quickly so we can get into... The brilliant guess who is Black Women of God. Yes. So we already started Black Women of God. We did. You gave them a brilliant setup, uh, Jasmine. <laughs> so we are now in Black Women, the Gods. God. <laughs> yes, God. It's Black Women, the Gods. And moving into this, I mean, congratulations, Ava and Oprah, for continuing yes. to come up. On our lives, not only is Queen Sugar returning for a third season, but they are also Ava's inked a first look TV deal with Harpo. So, you know, enjoy what you got going on, Tyler Perry over there at BET. Fucking love Queen Sugar. And it keeps introducing us not only to better storylines around 
um, black folks and black families in like the South, but she's also um, changing the actual behind the scenes in industry by having women directors. We've talked about this. A lot of people on staff are queer, are people mm-hmm. of color, yep. all these different things. Um, even I hope I'm not giving this away for anyone, but this is a great um, also later setup. But there's um, um, they just introduced someone who is a trans man and also a cop. And it talks about Ralph Angel's relationship with his son and the and his son has this Barbie named Kenya and he's really fighting for his son to be a who kid. He is. Who he is. That. I love who they do with Ralph Angel. Oh, and the only other cop I know is Morgan. So I can't wait for us to know former. more about that. <coughs> former <laughs> cop. <laughs> former <laughs> former cop. Wait a minute. So you mean to tell me <laughs> not only not only are you the first <laughs> Not only are you the first black, black man, man on the mic, you the first motherfucker that's, that's been a pig. I've been a pig. I've been a, I've been a bacon. Man. I've been a sizzle sizzle. The black card mixtape is revolutionary, <laughs> goddamn. But no, I love Queen Sh- This my is great. My favorite part is Ralph. I love the whole show, but I love how they treat Ralph Angel because he is the epitome of what some people believe black masculinity is. Yeah, he be but messing he, up sometimes, he, he be fucking up. Because, I mean, shit, I fuck up. Other black men, we fuck up all the time. But I love how on the show, he shows such emotion outside of the range of what men are supposed to be able to display. Like, he cries, and don't nobody on the show clown him for it. Mm-hmm. It's just, he's like, I'm upset. I'm a cry. I want my son. I'm a cry. And he allows, like, his son is clearly... You know, you do, I don't put genders and sexual orientations on kids, but Blue is clearly like, you know what? I'm going to play with the girl toys. And his daddy just come out there and protects him. By any means. To, you know, what we see so much and what we hear from people outside of black community is that if you got a little boy toy, they're going to beat it out of him. And that's not always the case. And to have her put that up there and reflect that back, that was like, we are multi-layered. We were this before they gave us their God who told us how we should treat one another. Mm. Is White people are not the standard. Not I, I love that. I, I mean, I love the whole show, but I love how they allow Ralph Angel to be a full man as opposed to a one-dimensional, you know, stereotypical ideal of masculinity. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep you hold up. <laughs> oh, no. I think Queen Sugar is doing I'm, a good job of telling us different ways to respond to tough conversations, mm-hmm. too. And the reason why I'm just looking because I don't watch the show. It's I'm so just, good. I have nothing to add to this conversation. It's wonderful. <laughs> I didn't watch the first season about two weeks ago. I might. <laughs> yeah, I heard there's some cool things about black farming in there, and mm-hmm. Amber is telling me that I need to watch it so I you can talk don't. more about that He's stuff. You, you do. You do. Special uh, fucking black woman the gods to Angela Yee, who was the only one who showed up and did her job this week on the yep. Breakfast Club. In just a brilliant way, just well researched, just giving y'all reading books, reading books, giving y'all the hip hop Barbara Walters, the hip hop motherfucking. If Oprah would actually sit down and listen to a Jay Z album, you, you know? know these niggas done fucked up when Angela Yee ends up in Black Women to God. <laughs> no offense, no. you know Angela Yee. Cecily's gonna have so much to say about this one. I, Sis, I've been there. Mm-hmm. I've seen you get cussed out by many of people. Lights out. And uh, <laughs> I can't say at the time whether or not I agree with them. <laughs> but oh this week, I definitely saw you shining queen in that corner. Yes, you did. You was the only one who had read the literature before anybody got there. <laughs> 
You the only one that has seen the film. You yeah. the only one that doing all the research the evening before. Mm-hmm. You missed a many a happy hour preparing for that show. Yes, she's like, I'm gonna ask about women rappers. Bless your life. <laughs> and you know, Creed set up the scene for Rick Ross yep. to so act a damn fool. Fucking fail. Because she came prepared. Just all her questions. And they also came ill prepared. Let's also black women of God's Janet Mock for setting up the iconic Man. interview that established black trans women mm-hmm. as a part of hip hop culture, as a part of and enjoying hip hop culture. Yeah. While also the girls are listening. Moving the road. To where journalists become less afraid to interview trans people. Mm-hmm. She made her goals clear at the beginning that a lot of people are afraid mm-hmm. to interview trans people because they are afraid of language. And so because of that goal, she withstood and showed so much grace mm-hmm. to these motherfuckers <laughs> who were... As the interview continued, Charlemagne and DJ Envy just could not compose themselves. Mm-hmm. The more they found out about Janet Mock's life, the more comfortable and laxed they became and just became downright inappropriate, nasty, and awful. Mm-hmm. But Janet Mock, your love for us shined through. Mm-hmm. And I just want to acknowledge that I saw my sis. Mm-hmm. Just being so gracious. Like, I'm going to make it this entire interview without going the fuck off on y'all. Because this actually, Charlemagne and DJ Envy, isn't about you. Literally, Charlemagne looked Janet Mock dead in the eye and said, you got a clit too? Janet Mock went on there. And what she did was expose what trans people and specifically trans women in this society the questions they get asked all the time she put that out there and she did it at a, at the expense of herself mm-hmm. because this is not an isolated incident no nope. what charlemagne and all them how they was talking to her and asking her these questions that's what trans people deal with on a daily and that's mm-hmm. what trans women really deal with because in this society men can't handle the fact that they might be attracted to someone who was assigned a different gender at birth mm-hmm. and so she goes out there and she puts all that on display what this is who i am but i am showing you what we all deal with mm-hmm. and you need to pick and choose and understand that this isn't an isolated incident this is mm-hmm. every day this mm-hmm. is every day. She put on display what gets trans women killed. Yeah. <laughs> what gets trans people killed. She said, this is what kills us. And she's put it out there for people to understand and to see. So she showed grace, but she showed grace for a higher purpose. Right. There's something, <laughs> there's something beyond that. And because there has to be something beyond that because there's no way you can go on there and just be like, you know what? I'm going to let these dumbass niggas say what they going to say. And I'm going to have a response that is born of grace as opposed to, let me give you my black ass to kiss like I should be doing. You know, so when she gave them that too, she did because she was like, You were supposed to Google it, Google me. That's her life. Oh, I didn't know you were good with Oprah. Yes, you got your iPhone. This is my second book. (laughs) 
This is number two. Janet Mock got a whole ass master's degree, and we couldn't even get into that journey. Girl! Because niggas was so caught up. She literally keeps letting them know that I was a strategist. Mm. All of this was a part of my strategy. I wanted to... I was done doing all those pieces so that I could focus on my education when I went to college because of people like you. She said, I was thinking about who I wanted to be beyond my body. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, just those moments that could be richer. And that's why hip-hop cannot continue to look the way that it does. No. Hip-hop cannot continue to have such huge platforms for black male interviewers. Because as we can see with Joe Burden, DJ Envy, and the Charlemagne the God, <laughs> is that, you know, you niggas just collapse when the spotlight is on you too hard you know Mm -hmm. anyway they also failed at tiffany haddish's interview who was also a part of black women of gods tiffany haddish you are just making us so proud queen congratulations on the great box office weekend i had the pleasure of also watching tiffany on the carmichael show recently i'm not i hadn't really watched it but I must say, I am really a fan of hers and our God, who sounds like Loretta Devine, <laughs> is on that show. Yes. And Loretta Devine is on there being godly as fuck, y'all. Okay, I need to tune so into good. the Car- Carmichael show. <laughs> yeah, so just to go ahead and wrap this up, just thank you so much for sharing your story, Tiffany. It was beautiful. Uh, she shared with us that at nine years old, uh, she became responsible for raising her younger siblings as well as her mother, who um, became mentally ill after she was almost murdered by the father figure in the house who cut the brakes on the car in which the whole family was supposed to be in so that he could collect the insurance money. Wow. Yes. To which Tiffany Haddish is a blessing and an angel. Man, she has stories. And just uh, her commitment to making sure that we laugh and are entertained is very clear. Mm -hmm. And we appreciate you sharing those stories and Mm -hmm. making light of those stories. Because we know that all the great comedians also uh, tell comedy from a place of trauma or horror. Yes, we do. That's why Richard Pryor is so iconic, because of his ability to flip very hard stories. Him lighting himself on fire included. Um, and wish she takes a hell of a drug. <laughs> no, nah, that's Have that. Out here, nah, ain't that cocaine? That's that. Uh, what's it? Free base. Free base. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, that's not that. That's not Mariah Carey, bitch. Not <laughs> <laughs> <Da> Mariah. <laughs> so Morgan's in the house. Morgan is in the house. Morgan Gibbons, tell us what your social is. You can tell us again at the end as well. Because, you know, uh, people like to tweet. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, you know, I'm on Instagram at Optimus Mo. Uh, and that's because my one of my younger brothers, when he found out I was trans, was like, you like a transformer? And I was like, yeah. So <laughs> Optimus Prime. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, he was Man, a trans. Man, the kids, 
I said, yeah, Jalen is like that. And he was like, all right. So my Instagram handle is Optimus Mo. Roll out. Yo, that's what I said. I said, all right, yeah, bro. I'm on Twitter at Dispatches Podcast. And all my podcasts and stories are at Goat Rodeo DC front slash Dispatches. Dispatches. Yeah, so I think the first time I heard of Morgan existing in this world <laughs> was because Amber shared with me this story because apparently Amber's algorithm on YouTube is lit because she watches all the TED Talks possible. <laughs> Especially while we were preparing for TED. I, on the other hand, just couldn't find the time, but definitely took highlights and overall tones and themes yes. <laughs> to figure out how this thing should go. Because while coaching was cool, <laughs> we did a lot of studying yes. other niggas' storytelling techniques other niggas specifically. to help us structure our own talk. Yes. And one of so basically, Amber would send me these different stories and talks. Yes. To inspire, like it's it's kind of like when Jay Z or Solange puts out an album, they talk a lot about like how sonically these are the things that influence the sounds of it. Now, while they didn't directly sample these pieces, they usually make a playlist mm-hmm. to say like this is how, this is why this song sounds like this because mm-hmm. I heard tweets drunk right (laughs) (laughs) so yeah morgan was definitely one of the sonic influences yes Yes. and this particular talk was could you tell us about it oh the story that you saw bookless yes so the the story is uh, it ended up being called bookless um on my podcast it's called dating and basically I ended up telling this story about a woman that I was completely enamored with who I saw at the gym. And, you know, it's always kind of creepy to see a woman at the gym be like, damn, she fine. Because, like, if you got any kind of sense, you ain't going to just roll up and holler at a woman at the gym because mm-hmm. she, you know, she's not there for your gaze. Like, she's not there to try to, <laughs> for you to holler at her. She's there to work out. G-A-Z-E. Yeah. Your gaze. Not the gaze like my friends, but the gaze as in your view. Um... And so like, I used to see her all the time. I was like, man, she's so fun. I wonder what she likes to do. I wonder who she is, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I ain't going to say nothing because that's not what she's kind of here for. So this is how the, where this story kind of came from. And I used to like kind of peep her a little bit, but I, you know, I was trying not to stare because like that's creepy in and of itself. <laughs> you know, and then one day she kind of ended up talking to me because she needed a spot. She was like, yo, I can't pick this up. And I think she was front because homegirl was like Jack. I'm like, you can pick this up. I was like, all right, I'll help you. All right. So, all right. So, you know, you. I spotted her a little bit. And so we ended up getting drinks. And like, I had spent months building up who I thought this woman was and like what I thought she liked to do and like how intellectually stimulating I thought she might be. And I'm so excited when she asked me to grab drinks with her. Like, I was texting my best friend and everything. I was like, yo, dog, she finally asked me out. And he's like, who? And I was like, bro, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you because that would be creepy. So I give him the whole backstory. It sounds like you have self-control. I do. I try to exercise some self-control. This I sounds mean, great. This I was great like, story. I was like, nah, I ain't going to say nothing because, like, this is going to make her uncomfortable. What if she stopped coming to the gym? Because she's like, this nigga going to try to holler at me. I just want to lift some weights. So. so, meanwhile, you just listening to L. Yo, cool J's Hey lover That's it I'm just over there By hey myself lover, like Well Hey lover <laughs> This is my <laughs> Basically Basically 
that was me, yo, hardcore. You know, I didn't know nothing about this one, but I was crushing hard. And, you know, she asked me out to grab a drink after I spotted her that day. And, you know, I had spent months, like, building this woman up in my head. And, you know, we finally get there, and we're, like, sitting down, and we're talking. And, you know, you know, I've told this to Amber before. I was like, I love to read, you know. I love books. I love words. I love mm-hmm. how they can move people and shape people. And I love to fall into them. And so I really desperately wanted to know what her favorite books were. And, you know, this woman I had built up for months looked at me and she said, I don't read. And I just, like, I felt <laughs> like the scaffolding of my crush began to crumble because I was like, you don't read at all? You know, we had this whole conversation, like, because it was like five minutes. I couldn't let it go. I was like, I was like Charlemagne in that bullshit Janet Mock interview. I could not let it go. I was like, what do you mean? You don't read nothing? Like, no, no, no novels, no memoirs, like, no poems, no soliloquies, like, nothing? No thing pieces? Nothing. Just so Facebook like, and like, my nigga. You know, for the story, I had to condense it a bit, but like, I ended up hanging out with her at her house, and I was, I was peeping. I was like, she ain't got no magazines. I was like, looking for anything. I kindled nothing. This woman truly, sincerely did not read. And, you know, when she told me she didn't read, Eventually, you know, I had this fear that, you know, if I ended up actually hanging out with her, that she would find out I was trans at some point and be like, I ain't talking to you. You know, I'm out. You know, fuck this. This is weird. But, you know, after she told me she didn't read, I was like, ew. <laughs> and then she was, and when I, I was like, well, I'm trans. And I just said it. Because, like, you done told me some shit that disturbs me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. let me tell you some shit that societally might disturb you. And she's like, oh, that's fine. I don't mind. She's like, and you, granted, she asked me some dumbass questions about it. Uh, like, oh, so what does that mean? She literally looked me in my face and was like, you don't have a penis? I was like, woman. You know, and that was when it really clicked me. I was nothing. like, you don't read it. I was like nothing not a thing not even Google on your phone and so you know we hung out a couple times after but she was just so she was she was gorgeous but she was intellectually lacking (laughs) and I I could not deal with that I need I need intellectual stimulation and so you know I ended up being like nah we good I'm gonna let this go I don't think we should hang out no more and it was just the first time in my life where I realized that being trans was not the be-all, end-all of any relationships I could have. Mm. That my relationships, you know, depending on where I am in the world, or where I, what state I live in, what city I live in, they are, you know, contingent upon the same things that all relationships are contingent upon. Do we have chemistry? Do I connect with you? Do you stimulate me mentally and emotionally and physically? And all she did was stimulate me physically, but because she was, you know, she was just so bland and... You know, I think I ended up, you know, ended the story by being like, you know, I do want to thank her because that was my breakthrough moment of being like, you know, who I am is enough. Mm. I am worthy in and of myself. And if I can look at you and you everything society says you're supposed to be, you and fit, you fine, you X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, nah, what the fuck gives you the right to look at me and say, because you're trans? No. I was like, no, I'm telling you no. And that was really the first time I realized. And I realized it before I moved to D.C., that I could go on dates with people and hang out with them and be like, no. That I could tell people as a trans person, no. And understand that I'm in a very privileged space, you know, with my ability to do that because of where I am. And D.C. is somewhat of a queer city in that regard. But that was like, that was a gift she gave me and didn't know she did it. Mm-hmm. That I could look at back later and be like, no, I'm going to keep dating for greener pastures, you know. But mm-hmm. that's, that's where that story came from. And, you know, and bless her heart. She was sweet, but you don't read nothing. That <laughs> you know? is. 
I can do it. A southern thing. Bless her heart. Bless, Bless her heart. <laughs> That's what you say about ugly babies. That's yes. what you say about everything. Just cover yeah. it all up. Bless look, their heart. Look, now, I totally hear Morgan. And, you know, <laughs> you know the kids ain't learning how to read <laughs> and stuff. And encourage to read. <laughs> yes. Support more encouragement. I mean, that was my mom. For the Black Joy mixtape. I feel like, though, you got to, <laughs> let me not stigmatize, but. But, yeah, that's you lit. Gotta that's you got to be got no books. But, but yeah, it was. My, sorry. No, it wasn't that she, it, it wasn't that she didn't have the education yeah. in place to allow her to read. It's that she had it and chose not, not to. to. Yeah. I was like, who, what is wrong with you? That's <laughs> like, my deal if, if being trans is your deal breaker, well, you, I mean, you got to read a book. I got a motherfucking deal breaker for your ass, too. <laughs> I think a thing that the really solid reasons why I also just love the story outside of like Morgan's performance of it is beautifully written. All these things is that as I'm someone who works with young people, young queer people, mm-hmm. trans people across this country. And, and sometimes we talk about this on the mixtape a lot, too. When it comes to dating that a lot of specifically trans women, some of the stories that we have about them are they're being taken up out of here because someone doesn't know how to appropriately respond to them coming out as trans. And it's and Morgan's story so beautifully lays that over top of what if I find out that you don't like avocados, bitch? Yeah. I don't try to kill you. Like I right. say, you know, this is a deal breaker for me, or it isn't a deal breaker for me, and mm-hmm. we need to move on. And that's that story to me puts when I think about our young people, it puts same. them it, it gives them a future. A fucking future. Because I'm literally my follow-up question is mm. how has dating evolved for you since? And the fact that a lot of folks don't even get to answer that question they because they, they did. Agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did. You know, so I I'll segue to that from something else, but like when I was when I was growing up, my mom was highly influential in my life obviously you know and i say obviously because i was blessed to have a great mother and you know my grandma played a big part but you know when me and my brother were growing up my mom always said to us she said if you are in a position to open the door for someone else or to illuminate something for someone else you have to do it she always told us that she was like you stand on the shoulders of giants you stand on greatness you are here at because of the grace of someone who came before you and here I am in this space where I can tell a story like that. And I know when I go home and I walk down the street that I'm going to be safe. I know I'm going to make it to my door. And so I'm able to share that story from the space that I'm in to reach those who are in spaces that are unsafe for them. To say, beyond that bullshit, it gets better campaign. No, I am a living example mm-hmm. of what it could be. And so, you know, I when I go and I tell stories on it stage... It should be without any barriers should, or consequences. I should not have to be an example of what it could be. What it could be instead of what it should be mm-hmm. for people who are still out there. And so when I get on stage and I tell these stories, I'm always thinking about what would my mother want me to make sure people know? Mm-hmm. What would she want me to get out for other people? And so, you know, beyond that story, you know, dating has changed for me tremendously because I got a pair. I, I was like, you know, what? I can have standards, mm-hmm. you know, because so much of what happens if you're trans and Lord, help you, if you're black and trans, if you sit at that cross section and if you black, trans and gay, good Lord, you know, it's mm-hmm. like so much of who I am, I'm able to be because of where I am. But dating 
changed for me after that because I realized I could tell people no. I realized I could have standards because as a trans person, what you're taught is you have to take what you get. And what you get has to be enough. And if it ain't enough, well then fuck you. And so dating for me after that changed when I realized I could tell people, you know what, I don't like you. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna wait for something better. I don't like you. I'm gonna wait till I connect with someone in a more, uh, in, in, in a deeper way. You know, I, I don't like you. I want to have somebody who I can sit up and have late night conversations with, perhaps, or someone who I feel entirely comfortable with, or you know, whatever the case may be. And this is gonna sound really weird, but I, I realized like I was when my uh, now fiance and I went out, I. It was just so weird because, like, I let her touch my feet. And that's weird, right? You know, I could, but my feet, I don't like my feet. And part of that is because my brother, when I was a kid, was like, you got E.T. toes. And he was like, E.T., go home. And he would, like, grab my little toe. And I was like, get off of me. But when she was like, your feet look dry. Let me put something on them. And I let her touch my feet. And I was like, oh, I'm really comfortable with her. Mm. And I realized that I, I could be afforded that comfort. I could be afforded that level of comfortability and she laughs when I tell her that I was like I knew I liked you when I let you touch my feet <laughs> and she was and she's always like it's your feet what you talking about I was like you don't understand <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, there are certain everybody has that thing for them mm-hmm. and so that's kind of how dating changed for me after that is I realized I could have standards I realized I could tell people no and I realized I, you know if I didn't want to go on a date with somebody I didn't have to go on go out with somebody just because they showed interest that I could be like I ain't got no interest in you that I could afford to have I could afford to want more and go for it. That's what came for me after dating poor, unfortunate booklets. <laughs> but, you know, people come in your life for reasons. And she was a lesson for me, and I'm sure it was a lesson for her. But that's how my dating life changed. It's like, you got standards, bro. Enforce them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's lit. My next question is, we mentioned that she was the pig. How the hell did you decide to become a pig? <laughs> so this is going to be... <laughs> Yeah, oink oink, right? So, so I do love bacon, but um Blue lives don't matter. <laughs> not only that, but blue lives I'm not even gonna get into this. You do realize so there are police police that occupy varying identities. So what are you really saying? Why is your dumb ass, your dumb ass black ass in yes. a blue lives matter sticker? Yes. When we really already yes. told you your, your talking life point. Matters. Your life matters. Your life matters, whether oh. you in blue or in purple or They're green. Like, only if I'm wearing a uniform with a badge, goddammit. It's like that's not <laughs> But even you niggas, like I heard the stories, mm. especially you cops down in the deep south. It's be- you know Y'all get pulled over the police and y'all literally gotta pull out your badge to you know, protect and not, yourself. And even me. But you know, because I don't want to get anybody hurt who's in certain positions, but I have family who are still the police down south. And they are very aware of the intricacies of white supremacy and how it works. And so the job is stressful for them in a way that is not for the people. And I basically became the police, you know, okay, this is going to encompass a lot of things. But so my grandma, um, she was a cop for like 30 years. And she basically, you know, she did a lot of jobs before that. Uh, 30 years. What? She did it for 30 years. She what does that look like? You know what? I would love to let you talk to her because what my grandma, my mom raised me and, and, and you know, dug the pathway for me to do what I do now because mm. she made it so I didn't have to struggle in the ways that she struggled before. And, but what happened is, you know, I'm, policing was never on my radar. You know, my goal was like, I'm going to go be a teacher. 
I'm gonna go be a professor, or whatever. I was always, I've always been like very much in the books. I've always been highly intellectual. That's not to say my brother is not. He is incredibly intelligent. But my grandma's a cop for 30 years. And I knew all her cop friends. You know, my biological father was an abusive asshole. And when my mom finally said enough is enough, when it basically got to the point where my brother threatened him with violence as a toddler, she said, I need to get my babies out of here. And she was fortunate enough to be able to do that. And I, I distinctly remember my grandmother showing up and all her cop buddies showing up and moving us out of that apartment. So my idea of what police officers were and what my grandmother and mother still had to tell me to do when confronted with officers, I was like, well, this don't make no sense. How are they supposed to be my friends who move me out of a dangerous environment, who I see and dap up at cookouts, but then I got to be scared of them when I get pulled over. I got to be scared of them when they come and say hello to me. You know, and then as I got older and realized I was trans, like my brother always knew he wanted to be a cop, you know, and he, it cemented in him when he was like seven years old and we was in this Walmart parking lot. My grandma was circling the parking lot. She was like, these people up to no good. <laughs> and they was basically out there robbing people in the Walmart parking lot. And he saw her whip around and view the license plate of a car and pick up her dis- her radio off duty and call it in. She looked at that, that license plate for less than a second, called in. My brother was like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that. I want to help people. Like, that's what he felt in his love for. I never had any desire to be a cop. But my grandmother did it because it was her way out of the hood. In a, in a lot of ways, that the military is the way out of poverty for some people. And it's not even really a way out of poverty. Sometimes they go and they surf and they go right back into what they came out of. Mm. But that was her escape. Mm-hmm. And so when I looked at my grandma, I was like, this is a path forward. This is how, and my grandmother is doing incredibly well. She invested when she was on the police department. And so I was like, dang, I can do that by being a cop. And I also had this deep desire as I came to know who I am more thoroughly, as, especially I, I learned all this white supremacist bullshit about what being black means. And I felt more in love with being black and I understood what being trans was. I was like, then why do police officers treat black people this way? Why do police officers treat trans people this way? And I, part of me understood that you can't really get it until you live it. And so I said, you know what? Don't become the cops, though, y'all. No, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't advocating. <laughs> I ain't advocating everybody joining out there joining the damn, damn police department. Because that's not going to solve. That was my way yeah, of yeah. trying to understand. We're talking about the past. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that no more. But when I first, Like the Black Jordan mixtape inspired me to be a cop. I'm no. not. I'm not. <laughs> Uh-uh. Do not no, take that shit out of the goddamn context to make your blue lives matter, goddamn. Keep it in context. Paraphernalia. Because I saw plenty of police no. officers that believed in that white Parental advisory, <laughs> The vast majority, actually. Look alive. What you're about to hear may make you feel warm and fuzzy. No, it, it, but it shouldn't. But that was, the, that was how I was, was seeking great. to understand. Right. That That's was how me. your way out. That was mm-hmm. me seeking to understand. And I said, I saw that that was my grandmother's way out, not because. It was a profession, you know, devoid of the ills of society. But because I said this is, but she even had she had to sue to mm. get reinstated to get instated after she passed the academy with flying colors because she was a black woman. Mm. You know, she had to. So it, this is not like the police department was like, "Yeah, black lady from the hood, come on and join us." No, she <laughs> had, that ain't what happened. She had to fight for the job, and for her, that was her way of having a salary at. Cause my grandmother had my mother at thirteen. Mm-hmm. So that was her way of make of ensuring that she could get my mom out of a bad situation. That is in no way an endorsement of the police department, but that was my grandmother's. That's what she, that was the opportunity afforded her, and she took it. And so I saw that, but I could not reconcile 
what statistics were saying, what these academic journals were saying about how police officers were treating black and trans people. I said, then what the hell is really going on? Mm-hmm. And then when I joined the department, I said, oh, I see. I said, these motherfuckers on here are transphobic and they white supremacists and they all these things. And what I learned is that, you know, you got all this shit. Saying, Police officers put their lives on the line. I signed up for that. I don't. I didn't Protect sign. Protect and serve. Exactly. I didn't sign up. <laughs> Y'all decided to put that on the cop. Exactly. I did not <laughs> sign up as a strictly black person to leave my house and get potentially killed. That was not. I, I never signed a contract for that. But when I signed up to be the police, I knew that when I signed that contract, you could die. So when they throw that shit, like, well, they're putting their lives on the line. Well, motherfucker, you chose that. I mean, ain't that why you became a firefighter? Yep. You chose. I mean, it. you might get burnt up. <laughs> that's that's the or, like you got fire in your name exactly <laughs> like that was a choice you don't be shooting at that shit before <laughs> you go in but, but what I learned was when I was on the department is that none of these officers have done the work to unlearn the shit that society teaches them before they go out and supposedly protect and serve the community just like the vast majority of white people don't unlearn white supremacy and be like damn we really fucking shit up mm-hmm you know, carry it over implicit yeah, bias. People think because they put on a uniform and a badge that all of a sudden you a brand new person. You the same bullshit as motherfucker you was before you put that on and now you had the power of life and death over people. You had the power to affect the entire trajectory of their lives and I, a lot of officers that I knew did not sit back and step back and realize the magnitude of the position that they had because if you are an officer and you don't tremble before the power you have, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because I was always scared. I was like, fuck, I hope I don't have to do X, Y, Z to somebody today. As opposed to, I hope I get to do X, Y, and Z. And I knew officers who said that. I hope I get in a, an altercation. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Talk your way out of it. Like, One of the things that we talk about that isn't working is things like body cameras. Shit, because we're seeing murders on camera and mm-hmm. that's not working. Nope. And then one of the things that I love that you talk about even just now is that Folks are putting on the uniform, carrying over the same kind of biases and problematic feelings and politics that they have about the communities that they serve. And it's being kind of like adding fuel to the fire is the the badge and having ownership over the badge. Um, I'm wondering what if cops are people Mm -hmm. and these are folks who can be trained to better do their jobs, what programs are what... um, you know, therapy or psych help are they even offering to cops and or heads of departments really encouraging cops to do in order to unlearn that so that we can keep more people alive? Mm-hmm. Is that even happening? It's not. It's, it's At least from my experience, it's not. And from the experience of officers I know in other departments, it's not. You know, and I, I, I believe I, mentioned, I might have mentioned this earlier when we were, you know, off the mic, is that police departments... And unfortunately, some advocates for police reform very much focus on treating the symptom. The symptom of white supremacy, the symptom of white supremacist patriarchy is the death of black bodied individuals that you see on camera. Putting a body camera on someone is not going to change how they interpret a situation. If mm. these people have been raised their entire lives to view black body individuals as threats mm. and as as monsters to be put down, you ain't gonna do nothing but but film the brutality. It's like, oh, so you're gonna put a camera on to film the symptom as opposed to putting in place trainings and teachings and learnings that help people 
that put people in a position to do the work to unlearn this stuff. Because you can't train somebody to unlearn it. They have to be committed to unlearning this on their own. You know, I distinctly remember people don't have the words for things. They don't have the language to understand what's really happening outside in society within police departments. You know, and I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, well, you know, they're police. They're great. I'm like, the fuck? They came from our society. All you did was create a microcosm society mm-hmm. where these beliefs have the, the capability to flourish. You know, and you have the most diehard conservative believers a lot of times joining these institutions who have no challenge to what they think and what they believe. Oh, the KKK was encouraging their members to they join. They were, and they, they did stuff. And they the said, army, They et said, clean up your image. Get a haircut, go to mm. college, and join the military, join the police department, because that is a better way for us to enforce our white supremacist policies. Mm. And but there's no policy. There's no there's no training really going on. There's no teaching. You can't train somebody. What they need is teaching. What they need is black women who understand this shit or what college they professors need to is come not in to and be like, exist like this. Exactly. You know, it's like your, <laughs> Abolish. your, your vetting policies are not in place. When mm. do you sit down and you go over, you know, sociology one on one? This is what gender is. This is how we constructed mm. race, X, Y, and Z. You're expected to go out in the community and enforce the laws, but you have no you have no understanding of the historical moment in which you operate. You have no understanding of how you got here as a person in this moment in time. And if you cannot be in that uniform and reflect back on what got you there, what are you doing here as a police officer? Because your job is to serve the community. And what best serves the community? Locking up everybody for some petty bullshit or taking the time to sit back as an officer and reflect and be like, you know what? Why are these people in this environment? What have we, what have white people as a society mm. done to create this neighborhood where this type of stuff happens? And what can I do as an officer to better serve this community and the greater community as a whole? Locking people up does not serve the community. I went to therapy regularly. I said, you know what, this ain't going to be my life. And I got my family members who are still in law enforcement to go. Mm. You know, but because of toxic masculinity and what it is, they view seeking help as some form of weakness that's not weak you become stronger by admitting your weaknesses and fortifying them mm-hmm. but if you're gonna leave your weaknesses wide open then they're gonna get your, your your foundation gonna get it washed away and you're gonna crumble but they don't sure we had we had therapists but when you have a department of i'm i'm guesstimating here about 1200 people on the Metropolitan Police In D.C. they had their... Only on Washington, D.C.'s department. That's not including Metro PD. That's not including the Uniform Secret Service. That's not including all the other law enforcement agencies that operate. But I'm I'm guesstimating. It may be far more than this, but I don't recall. Um, you got 1,200 people, but you only need five therapists? That's a problem. That means your, that means your department is not using the resources. And why aren't they using it? Because if you go and people find out, like, you know, so-and-so got issues, so-and-so doing X, Y, and Z. But motherfucker, this is the reason that this officer is able to go out here and always have the emotional reserves to interact with people in the way that is humane and deserving when you out here profiling people because it's easy. You out here, you'd rather fight somebody and scrap with somebody because you angry about some bullshit as opposed to going home, dealing with your issues and coming back ready to do the hard work that if you do the job correctly and the vast majority don't, if you do the job, it's emotionally draining. But that's what you signed up for. So D.C. has budgeted for five therapists at their department. That isn't to say that other cities and towns they don't. are putting in a budget. Any, they probably don't. And it's free. It's free. 
Yeah, and they still not silent. going because of toxic masculinity. They don't go because across it's the board. So when we think about police reform, and I, I love that we're here having this conversation because it's like widely assumed that like we hate cops, which you know we have reason to. We have reason to, and um, y'all literally know good and goddamn well you're not doing enough to make sure that people are survived. And like we have someone who's literally saying. You all aren't even scratching the surface. And y'all can't even, because you're too adamant about, you know, lying on police reports and doing so much work to defend yourselves, you can't even fix your mouth to say what you actually need in order to do this job. You can't even have criticisms because everybody knows that jobs are shitty. Mm-hmm. But y'all aren't even willing to recognize that even while you are saying you are risking your lives in the line of duty, you're doing it for less than $50,000 a year. They, look, my salary was $47,000. <laughs> and that salary is big because it's D.C. If you in Memphis, if you in Jackson, Mississippi, if you in New Orleans, you look if you're making thirty-five k. So what is so the FOP really what doing is for that? Y'all? Yeah, what is this really doing? What look. is actually your incentive you can't even have you can't even go to the the departmental therapist in peace so what happens to you when you actually have some type of trauma or actual conflict in this office Mm -hmm. what are you hiding from uh your hr department what kind of interactions are you having among other police officers that you have to be silent about Mm -hmm. in order just to maintain just your job yeah so what exactly are you trying to flip out you are a cog in this system that is here to profit on not Mm -hmm. only the death of black people but your demise as well no, I mean, here's what I tell people all <laughs> Y'all the time. Y'all forgot. Right. Y'all left yourself out of Black Lives Matter, Hi. too. You, for no reason. Great job. Welcome. No, you absolutely right. Because here's what I think a lot of law enforcement officers, police officers forget, is that you are the gatekeepers to this entire system. And if you understand how fucked up the system is, why you keep arresting people who could be diverted? Why are you... It's... My, my time on that department... I had maybe a few friends who I knew I could count on for some shit, but I had a plenty of friends who fell into that white supremacist trap. Mm-hmm. You know, black officers who was like, yeah, all lives matter. I was like, nigga, till you take that uniform off and then they gonna kill you too. They shot and killed a black officer in Montgomery County, in mm-hmm. PG County, I think like a year and a half ago, outside of one of their stations. So when we go after the FOP, that means something for who everybody. Who is the FOP? Um, the Fraternal the Order of the police. police, who are basically the union for the police. They are the yeah. people who make sure that y'all are supposed to be that taken care of, that you don't get fired. They can't get us raises. Yeah, and it just makes me just consider. Well, Black Lives Matter isn't in the interest of an FOP because then it makes the union the union members ask more questions about mm-hmm. well, what actually are my rights? What here? are you doing? What should I demand more? What? So yeah, they have they have the um, incentive to block out radical movements like Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. because it directly impacts their constituency so i do want to ask you were a cop i was we have talked about you being trans Mm -hmm. were you openly trans while you served in the department uh i was but not when i first joined um of course on the paperwork i had to 
kind of come out uh, because the paperwork was like, are you male or female? And so I clicked male. And then it was like, well, have you taken, have you signed up to be part of the draft? And I was like, no. It's like, you cannot complete this interview. I said, the fuck? You know, because I couldn't. You know, I was, I was beyond, I said, you know, because on all my legal documents, it says female, but I know that's not what I am. So I had to go back and put this lie on my paperwork and then email the recruiter. Like, look, I'm actually a trans man. This is, I need all my paperwork to say, you know, that I'm male. Um, but because I know how people are, because I've read enough and I've interacted with people enough, I knew that I could not come into the department openly trans, which is unfortunate because in a perfect society, I could be who the fuck I was and mm-hmm. it'd be okay. But I, uh, when I first started the police academy, I didn't tell anybody in my academy class or any of the other people in the academy um, who were recruit officers that I was trans because I knew they needed to get to know me as me first get to know me as Morgan, get to know me as a nerdy dude who likes to play video games when he ain't got to be at work, who reads all the time. And then after about two or three months, I told my entire class that I was trans. I was like, look, I'm trans. This is who I am. This is what it means on a basic level. If you have questions, ask me those questions off duty. Don't ask me these questions in the cafeteria. But after that, I was pretty much open about it, you know, because part of why I did join the department you know, aside from looking at my grandmother and being like, this is a way forward, was, like I said, this was me trying to understand things. But I also joined because I was like, you know what? These people ain't been exposed to shit. These are, and, and, and the, the interesting, cool, and sometimes unfortunate thing about the D.C. Police Department, these people come from everywhere. Mm. You know, because people are like, I get to be an officer in Washington, D.C., so they come from everywhere. And so I chose to be openly trans because I said, this is the only way people are going to change their minds. In some respects, is if they know that they serving beside somebody who's trans, if they know that I'm trans and I'm open about it because I was in the space where I could be, it was safe for me to do so. Predators know if you attack trans people, if you attack people who you think might be part of the immigrant community, they, they are less likely to call the police because the police might then re-victimize them. Mm. So I'm like, your whole job should be, you should be one of the most open, accepting per- people on the face of the planet because your job is protecting everybody. And that's not the case. So you mean to tell me, Morgan, he was not only serving as a police officer, he was also out here giving diversity training uh, every shit day. for the free. You know, I mean, was, <laughs> do you know how much money I spent on Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow? If I could tell you how many officers I had to be like, look, you need to read this. You need to read this. You need to read. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You know, it's unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable. And I think I told you this story one time about, uh, told Amber one time about, I had this white woman who was my partner and I am very introverted and she would ear fuck you to death, which means she would just talk and talk and talk and talk. And I'd be like, oh Lord. It took me forever to get used to her because I like silence. (laughs) I got a podcast, so I'll ear fuck you. I got your ass. Ear fuck you slow, baby. She'd be like, I'm like, yo. If we ear fucking, what kind of ear fucking are we talking about? Not the kind I wanted. (laughs) I was like, damn, woman, be quiet. (laughs) But you know, one time. I warm up, baby. You know, but. You did. I, I love that description. No. Yo, that's what it was. Look, my mama said, that's my mama. She was like, yeah, yeah, fuck me to death. I can't listen right now. Y'all gonna talk my ear off. You, you don't know? want this ear for it. <laughs> but, like, you gonna want to hear this. You gonna want to hear this. I was dead ass having to give the I can't wait till people hear Morgan's podcast too because that's a great way to describe your like, delivery. 
like, oh, you're all in my ear. I like it. That feels real nice. Let's <laughs> continue. Nice. Ear fucking. No, wow. so, but she would ear fuck me to death. I'd be like, yo, be quiet. Be quiet. And it took me a long time. To, and then I just learned to tune her out. But she was a white woman. And I got a call one time for some bullshit shoplifting at Neiman Marcus mm-hmm. in Northwest. So, you know, they like, our money is more important than your life. I'm like, get the fuck out of my face. So they called me for some bullshit. And they had stopped this black woman. And they said she was trying to steal this belt that was like $300. And when I, I came up and I, I sat down and I looked at her, whenever I dealt with somebody, especially if they were black, I was like, what the fuck would I want to happen to me? And or what I would want to happen to my family members? And so I sat there and I said, ma'am, I said, what's going on? And, you know, I had these, you know, Neiman Marcus guys. I'm like, she tried to steal this belt and she just walked out the door. I said, get the fuck up and get out. I said, I want to talk to her. I said, ma'am, what's going on? And she said, I, she was like, officer, I was not trying to steal the belt. She had these bags from several other stores in this area of town, which, I mean, I said, ma'am, is it okay if you show me your receipts? Because I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. She shows me receipts. She's like, yeah. She says, no problem. And I asked, I'm not going to go rummaging through your bags. And she, I said, well, you clearly paid for all of this other stuff and totaling hundreds of dollars of purchases. And I'm looking at the people who called me. I'm like, you want me to believe that this woman came in here today? And spent like $1,700, but decided to steal a two to $300 belt. First of all, this don't make no sense. Gotta take the accessory. It don't make no sense. The outfit just won't be <laughs> yeah, complete. Yeah, just won't be complete. She's like, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. out. I'm, I'm tapped. Like, I done dropped two Gs today. I just want a belt for $300. I will, it will, I will not go over the budget today. It did not make no sense. So I said, oh, okay. And then I said, well, All that be? money you just spent, I feel like you should get the belt free. She can have it. Right. <laughs> spend $1,800, get a belt for free. Like, I don't know. Man, they got that. <laughs> deal going on at Pan Am. If you buy groceries, you get free router, my nigga. I feel should, like this that's, that, that's what she should have gotten, but that wasn't what was going on. Uh-huh. But I look. I said, "Well, show me the footage." And I sat there and I said, "I start." And the footage lasted so long. I started having to fast forward. I said, "How long did the woman have the belt on?" This black woman was wearing the belt for forty-five minutes. I said, "You lost prevention." He said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, what losses are you preventing?" When they ain't nobody walk up to this black woman shopping and say, ma'am, do you need some assistance with that belt after 45 minutes? Because what happened was just she put the, the belt on and was looking at it in the mirror. Then her girlfriend called her over and they sat down and started. To, I she watched forgot it she had she it forgot on. she had it on. And then she walked out with her girlfriend and her husband. And then when they came outside and said, ma'am, can you come back in? She came back and said, first of all, she had to come back. Second of all, you had no right to put your hands on her. That's simple assault. I said, I should be arresting you. I said, I'm not locking her up. I said, ma'am, what are you, what are you? She said, officer. She's like, I did not mean to take that belt. Automatic. I said, I believe you. Ford, it's going to ruin. All because some white people were All nervous. because some white people didn't have the common decency to come back. Ma'am, do you need some help with that belt? Because you done had over 45 minutes. Common sense would dictate you forgot you had it on. I said, ma'am, you have a nice day. I Be blessed, Because and what you just listened to, people, is the benefits of community policing. <laughs> That's yes. what it's supposed to be. Morgan was doing the radical concept of community policing while as a full-ass pig. <laughs> it was... That's lit. Because what we know is, or even when you said that your grandmother served in the department, for 30 years and she could literally glance at a motherfucking situation and know you know what y'all ain't from around here mm-hmm. assess the situation quickly and get it you know disbanded it really it. quickly yeah. so like that's what it means to have people from our community yes. who knows our community to help you know 
de-escalate situations. But you and have to, know, you have to be from the community, not only from the community, but you have to have worked to unlearn yes. all the bullshit. Yep. So, uh, we talked a lot about being a cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about, you know, you serving as an openly trans, an openly trans person who was a cop. Let's talk more about the pig sink. Yeah. The, the precinct. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the pig pen. Yeah. The, the pig sink. <laughs> oink, oink, oink. <laughs> Thank you for letting us talk about your profession like this. I mean, shit, it's real. Why I mean, am I shut down? It's real. It's like your mixtape. You ain't think It's I'm, our world, man. I can't. Look, the cops is doing a lot of shit. And you think <laughs> I'm going to do interviews with the cops without calling them pigs? And to like, your face? But times. you know what my mom always told me? She said, if somebody say some shit and you offended, it's because some of it really true with who you are and what you're doing. What? And it's not all the time because there's something people just offensive. <laughs> but if it's something like that, Wife I'm like, oh, shit, Anyway, so <laughs> I just would like to hear more about uh, what was it like as uh, a workplace, if we think about the precinct as yeah. a workplace. What did they do well to support you as a trans uh, person? Or what can folks do better when trans people are in their workplaces. As far as working there, and this isn't for how officers treated trans people who they encountered. I want to make that very clear. This isn't how officers who were uniformed treated the trans people they encountered. But when I worked there, they were fairly good about taking into consideration all the things I needed to work there and feel safe working there to feel that me being there was okay. Now, that doesn't mean that every officer I met was automatically like, yeah, man, you're cool because people, these motherfuckers are transphobic as fuck until they got to know me. And it doesn't mean that their transphobia disappears. It's just like having a white person who's like, I got this black friend, but then they spout off some racist ass shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, I like the trans. I like Morgan. I, I like that one <laughs> I trans like, for like Caitlyn Morgan. Jenner at home like, damn. I'm like, yes, exactly. <laughs> you are not the be-all, end-all of what this movement is, but... And I understand that that is not the be-all, end-all of what it means to be trans as an officer, especially in Washington, D.C. means. But they did take steps to ensure that I was okay while I was there, that I was protected while I was there. And what I was able to do, because I did come from a position, regardless of how marginalized I was, where I realized if something happened to me, I was in a position to make sure it was taken care of and that people Mm -hmm. fixed it. But they, they didn't... They had times where they did shit that was kind of fucked up, but it wasn't intentional. But it also didn't end up with me being dead. So sometimes... What did that look like? Like, um, when I started the police department and I was about to start the academy, and in their effort to, quote-unquote, make sure no one bothered me, they told the whole academy that a trans person was going to be in the next recruit class, and you better not fuck with them or we going to fire you. So in their eyes, they was like... We just made sure nobody's going to fuck with you. And my eyes, like, what you did was start a witch hunt for, for who was a trans person in this next class. And my cl- recruit officers, my fellow recruit officers would come and like, why is everybody staring at us? Because they were looking like, well, who is it? Mm-hmm. Which also goes to reemphasize this idea that you can look at somebody who's trans and know they're trans. Mm-hmm. So they was like eyeballing all of us. Like, well, which one of these motherfuckers can we not fuck with because they're going to fire us? <laughs> you know, so they would do things to try to keep me safe, but in the end, were actually counterintuitive 
to doing what they wanted to do in the end. Instead of coming to me like, yo, do you want us to tell people you coming? Do you want us to keep this quiet and just make sure you have a place to go shower after PT? Yeah, they based it on the individual instead of putting in place structures that make it possible for you to exist there. Right. And and so for months, for you know, the first two months, for the first couple of weeks, you know, people was like, well, which one is it? Who is it? And even in my own class, people don't pay attention. Because if that tells you anything about police officers, I don't know what will. Is that for two and a half months until I came out to my class, nobody realized that after PT, I dipped and took a shower somewhere else and just randomly showed back up fully dressed. <laughs> you know, nobody caught that except for one kid in my class. You know, so... What they can do better is to sit down and talk to their trans recruits or talk to even members in the trans community and seriously listen to what they're saying and not institute all these bullshit ass policies like here's the general order on how you should, you know, talk to transgender bodied people. And as we had a general order on how to interact with transgender individuals, like you don't take away their gender affirming, you know, cosmetics or whatever the case may be. But you got officers who don't think that's real, then what the fuck is gonna happen as far as following that general order? Gonna snatch their wig. They're gonna snatch their wig, they're gonna clown them, mm-hmm. you know, they're gonna do all these things that dehumanize them. Mm-hmm. And the policy don't mean shit because what we right. know as trans people is that going to the sources of your oppression does not solve it. So why would I ever go to the source of the people oppressing me after I've been incarcerated because maybe I have to engage in sex work survival to continue to exist to complain about how your officers treated me? You are the source of my oppression. Why would I ever come to you to fix it? So what they did well was try. <laughs> and that is a haphazard, crooked star try. What they can do better is actually sitting down and educating the law enforcement on trans identities, sitting down mm-hmm. and truly, you know, pushing them to confront the things that make them uncomfortable. You want me to believe that this person has the power to discern whether or not I go to prison for the rest of my life and you can't even challenge them mentally to unpack their prejudices? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the pig sink, you know, we can talk <laughs> about how medical schools are at whole ass universities and don't call on their gender studies sociology professors to come in and teach ethics to to teach people how to treat patients who have all kinds of gender identities Mm -hmm. or we can talk about at your software company y'all ain't learned or talked about what it is not to do discriminatory hiring practices outside of what's in the HR the human resources handbook Mm -hmm. I mean Snapchat ain't even testing out their filters on the black staff members you know what I mean you gonna give me a damn Bob Marley white people this is all over like white people are lazy as fuck yes so the the (laughs) pig sink is a microcosm of just work environments that aren't doing enough to support people more. Instead, they are going to court fighting for their right to have a policy on their books to not hire people with dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all... Lazy. It's all interconnected. And racist. So, like, it's not just on, you know, the pigs, you know. Of course, they're going to be abolished, so I'm not worried. But I just also (laughs) feel that, you know, there are some things here that are rich and uh, potentially good for workplaces. But also, it's like a 
a lesson in what all workplaces can do, especially in a time where there aren't legal protections for people in the workplaces. Nope. Y'all are at the center of power. Y'all can implement this change and they create policy. You the gatekeepers, but you ain't doing nothing but opening the floodgate. Yeah. Morgan, thank you so much for coming. This yeah, but we really appreciate it. You have covered so much and given <laughs> us so much fruit and things to think about. And I want to wrap up with this question again because I think what um, it was shown on by Janet Mock on the Breakfast Club, what is shown by you through your storytelling and through your presence of being here, is um, that one is you all have engaged with, you all have interacted with trans folks. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise! Shocking. They're in your schools. <laughs> they're your doctors. They're they're all over the place. Yep. Additionally. Um, they're telling I, great stories they're on tell- the internet. <laughs> great stories on the internet. This batch is baby. Um, but also, we have so much to learn by being in community with folks who are with black folks in general, and especially black folks with different identities than our own. Janet Mock said black folks need to learn how to talk across difference as well. Yes. She ain't wrong. So my question to you is, since you know we talk to the black folks on here, (laughs) I want to know and apparently we have a bunch of black male Listeners, the hate, hate listeners. listeners. Yes, you know. What's up, fellas? <laughs> this one don't be a long one, y'all. <laughs> I ain't got no inbox, so you can just be mad in the anthem. But I don't know. <laughs> Send it in uh, the form of a five star review. So, <laughs> you also talk a lot about being um, being able to build your identity as a black man by taking the things that you liked and didn't like to be able to be who you are today. So, I want to know. Um, to wrap up, what do you want other black men to know about building their identities as black men? And then what do you want black folks to know about the trans black folks who are who we're in community with? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to take the black man question first, okay. and then I might need you to repeat the second one. Okay, great. Okay. Gotcha. So here, the thing about you know being trans and being a black and, and, and being black and being a black man is there is a lot of freedom within the cage that society gives us, right? Um, And I guess it just depends on your perspective, how you view things. But what I realized the most was that your masculinity is what you make it. You know, you don't have to bow and buckle under what white supremacy tells you it means to be a man. Because, you know, and, and I don't know my my origins as far as my family lineage what part of africa we came from what country we came from but i do know from reading read y'all if you can if you can't maybe get some assistance but read audible. y'all listen to the black joy mixtape yeah yes. there you go audible <laughs> you do something <laughs> but what i know is that we celebrated the differences in gender before we came to know the white patriarchal god and how they view jesus and that in and of itself, even though I am incredibly agnostic, gave me the freedom to be like, you know what? There are things that I should take from what we deem feminine and degrade as the feminine, but are actual enhancements. They allow me to live. They allow me to breathe. They allow me to be free. Take those things. Take compassion. Take empathy. Take understanding. Take sitting Nurturing. down. Nur- it is... You become fully human when you encompass and accept all the parts of yourself that society tells you you should deny. 
and if I had to tell black men anything, I was like, allow yourself to feel everything and not be shackled by what people tell you you should feel. Mm. Because that that is no way to be fully human. And, you know, if you are a black man who wants to have children and is in a position where you can procreate, what do you want your children to know about black masculinity? Do you want them to think it is something that will beat them down constantly, something that is cold and unforgiving and unyielding? Or do you want them to feel that it is something that is a warm embrace that they can fall into, like... Be the black masculinity that you wish you had for yourself. Mm. And so I take I take things from being raised when society thought I should have been a woman. They're like, oh, that's a girl. I am not a girl, and I was never meant to be a woman. But I took all this thing because, and it's just, and even that in and of itself shows the range of how men get patted on the back for the bare minimum because I was raised to do the cooking. I was raised to help with the chores. I was raised to do these things, but because I identify as male, because I know I'm male, when I do these things and my fiance tells her friends, I'm like, oh my God, that's so great. No, this should be the norm. You should not be patting me on the back for making dinner because she don't like to cook. She don't like to cook. So don't fall victim to what people tell you black masculinity is i would encourage you to read bell hooks i would encourage you to read chimamata negozi adishi i would encourage you to read audrey lord and be comfortable in yourself because if you're not comfortable in yourself then you will fall victim to white patriarchal masculinity that tells you you have to be cold and cruel and mean and you don't because that's not unless yourself yeah i mean it's not it's not a full expression of who you are. And if you want to chain your soul after we supposedly have been set free, then you can do that. But that's not what I'm going to do. Mm. Because I know that I am a man regardless of how I express it. Could you repeat that? If you want to chain <laughs> your soul. <laughs> I mean, Say if, again, if you want to chain your soul. After, we they suppo- told- after they told us we were free, then you can do that. But that's not what I'm going to do. Because we Oh my goodness I'm free. I'm free and I'm free. Act like a king. Put your crown upon your head, King. You ain't gotta act this way, Kings. I just Your crown has already been paid for, black men. Act like it. I'm already free. You know, we had ancestors that came across How you gonna let this nigga do (laughs) y'all? That's why you need to read. You need to read. Look at you. Look at you. You look dumb. (laughs) Are you dumb? Are you dumb? (laughs) But that's what I'm saying, you know. So I, I guess I would tell black men to be better, to study more, to learn more, to be willing to step outside those bounds, to be willing to be, quote unquote, soft. Because you keep yourself at a distance from others if you are not. You feel me? Like you, if you are not willing to connect with others emotionally, you are not living your fullest life. You are, you are keeping those who love and know you from knowing you truly. And you keep yourself from knowing them. So you have to be willing to be open. You have to be willing to be emotionally available. You have to do these things because you can't claim, I'm going to love my daughter because she's my daughter. When you treat her mama like shit. Well, you ain't even figured out how to love your goddamn self. Maybe don't know. Love yourself, you know, King. I just want y'all to know that sure. I have put up my computer because we have just been properly ear-fucked by the great. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> the money... The properly mo- ear-fucked. The money sound bite has been collected. <laughs> she did pack up. <laughs> my God, today. <laughs> Jasmine, Jasmine is a goddamn fool, y'all. You know? <laughs> 
She has no sense. We come here, you know, to be the Mariah Carey's of the white world. Educate the hearts and minds of you niggas we, every week. <laughs> and I am just so thankful and I'm privileged. so grateful. Man, we just gave you intersectionality. <laughs> <laughs> the same week that Janet Mock Did was man. iconic as a motherfucker. Iconic. <laughs> Grace just... She better than me. One for the books. One for the books. And I'm just thankful for storytelling. So we're here. Um, I think this interview started or we, uh, you know, set it up to talk about the fact that we came here through stories or came to know you initially through stories. And what you said during one of our breaks is that it's important for us to tell the stories, especially on these platforms, because why? Yeah, <laughs> historians <laughs> and sociologists, they use primary sources. And primary sources are what they use to construct history. Primary sources means that it came from the mouth, directly from the mouth of the people living in that moment. So most of your history books, if they are good history books, come from the primary sources, which means they come from diaries. They come from stories written by the people who lived during those times. And historians come back and they read these primary sources and they construct the history of the moment. And so, you know, the reason I podcast, the reason, you know, I'm fairly certain that you know, Amber and Jasmine podcast on top of just being like, y'all collect yourselves (laughs) is to be a primary source for these historians. And audio is a new technology. It is a primary source. It is the way to stake your claim and say, this is what was going on. Uh, Aside from what Trump is saying, aside Mm. from what Sessions is saying, aside from what uh, Macron is saying, and people are like, you know, loving to kiss his ass, but he ain't no better. You know, aside from what, what Merkel is saying, this is your chance to say, this is who I am. This is who I was then. This is what was going on with me. And this was the reality of my life. And so podcasting is your chance to be your own primary source because Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says it. And I will always stand for her regardless of the learning she has to do because we all got learning to do. Mm-hmm. But she talks about in her TED talk the dangers of a singular narrative the dangers of allowing one story to be the story of all people and so podcasting and this podcast and me being here and me having my own podcast is pushing back against that singular narrative against what people say trans people are what people say black people are black trans people are is to say no this is my land and I'm staking my claim on it and this is my story so that when historians come later they might stumble upon these podcasts and say, you know what? We got something that goes against. In the capsule. The, ap- yes. the, the Watch the Throne Museum. Yes, that goes against what the <laughs> narrative what they wanted exhibit. us to believe was. Yep. And so, you know, even if... Document your stories, you y'all. It's important. Blog it, record it, upload it, because they, they will draw on this in 100 years when we no longer exist. <laughs> they will pull upon these podcasts and these stories and these blogs and say... Actually, this is what the people were saying, regardless of what the power said. So, keep an external hard drive, get some CDs, burn you. Do something. Get the cloud. CDs, DVDs, (laughs) nigga. I don't know. They can get rid of the cloud. They can get rid of SoundCloud. SoundCloud going to get cut off any day now. (laughs) Y'all better bury. Oh, I need to to move my podcast. Chad said, I am a cheerleader. Like, he said, I have a a cheerleader. Yeah, so I told him. No, I need you to pay the money because I got to move my RSS feed. Because I will remind y'all again. (laughs) 
that uh, Google tried to buy this motherfucker. There's some lot of big money tried to buy SoundCloud. They yeah. was like, nah, we good. Chance Money, like that album did good, but it ain't do that. It ain't do SoundCloud. Good. It ain't do I can buy SoundCloud. No problem, no problem. <laughs> Chance out here being a whole ass superhero on his Twitter account, but the Girl, reality is that BET humanitarian work can only go so far. You know, the Chance, variety. I got a podcast, said, brother. I, I we we have a podcast. They have a podcast. I have one. We need your help. He, no, put up the money, okay? Chance ain't got that kind you of. You ain't money. all that damn Chicago deep dish. You need to go in your deep pockets. <laughs> no, nope. he, he ain't got it. But he definitely has a link to give y'all to go listen to a song he, can he put out. He can, he can amplify. Well, you know, chance. He can get us talking about the importance of SoundCloud. I know we try to use SoundCloud artists, rising SoundCloud mm-hmm. artists every it's week. Great. So where can they find you on social, Morgan? So I am on Instagram at Optimus Mo. I'm on Twitter at Dispatch podcast um and you can find my podcast also on itunes at dispatches or you can look me up at goat rodeo dc front slash dispatches yes and just to big up soundcloud we have started a new hashtag called hashtag black joy intros black joy intros i know every week y'all are asking us what is the song that we play at the beginning and the end and this has been the system in which i have decided to go with (laughs) (laughs) what i've chosen yes I just don't know how long the links will be there. I tried to create a playlist, and because SoundCloud artists have a lot of things going on, sometimes they decide to go work at the VA, sometimes they it just don't work out for them. So they take a lot of content down. So y'all can check the, the hashtag and find a lot of the songs on there. I should. What's your social, Jasmine? My social is at Jazz on your mind, J A Z O N Y A M I N E. That is on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. And I'm just Amber J. Phillips across social media platforms, which include and are limited to Twitter, Instagram, and you can follow me on Facebook. Yeah, and don't forget to use the hashtag, y'all. Black Joy Mixtape. If you're following along listening to the episode make sure you use the hashtag we also use the hashtag to let you know what headlines we use as well as provide additional commentary around inside jokes and any other thing that we feel inclined to put on there but you all should be engaged in the black joy jubilee y'all should be very familiar with each other the black joy jubilee is so lit man it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're oh so gully. Like, they will clap at anybody. Yes. They're ready. So, so use the hashtag <laughs> Blackjoy Mixtape. Y'all engage with us. Engage with the episode. Engage with each other. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you like, what you loved. Mm-hmm. Don't at me have. with some bullshit. Don't, don't but at us. But at, but at us with the bullshit. You know, <laughs> you know what we mean by that. Yes, we do. And uh, also, if you don't forget, if you have a little change... And you heard something. Pasta collection play. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) You can give to us at paypal.me forward slash black joy. Morgan, you got somewhere they can pay you? Y'all can't pay me, but man, get me booked somewhere. I love telling stories. I write stories all the time, but you know. How can I get you booked? 
So email me at districtdispatches at gmail.com or don't, yo, don't be blown on my inbox, but my personal is mdgivens, G-I-V as in Victor, E-N-S, 86 at iCloud.com. And I'll come talk. I'll come talk to you. I just did it for a uh, fee, right? I will. It, it it will cost you some money. I did a fee the for common folds. I talked to some uh, high school students who want to be writers, who are memoirists, who are uh, nonfiction writers, and it was wonderful. So if you are a teacher, you need somebody to come talk to your kids about memoirs, nonfiction writing. Let me know. Booking info in the bio, bitch. Hey. And if you want to book Black Joy mixtape for talks, you know we're TED Talk alum. <laughs> They we educate, <laughs> you know, we educate y'all weekly as well as, you know, we provide a ill-ass Black Joy turn-up. We can do it all. You can hit us at the Black Joy mixtape at gmail.com. Also, do not forget to send us a shout-out. Shout-out. So, so that's our show, y'all. So honored to have you. Thank Morgan, you. thank you for blessing our mind. Nah, it was dope. I had a great time. Yes. <laughs> Follow Morgan's work. Jasmine, you the GOAT. Forever for always. Man, you is too, man. I'll show you. What's up, primary source? High five. Y'all know primary source. Primary source. We already can be incited, so of course we're primary source. We're in a couple of dissertations, bitch. What you mean? (laughs) (laughs) This is Amber J. Phillips, the high priestess of Black Joy. And this is Jazz King of the South. And you just listened to the Black Joy mixtape. Hey, what do you do? Oh, man, pressure by the